sometimes I wonder if we should like practice with cold openings rather than rehearsed scripted openings. Adam, what do you want to talk about today? Oh, is this our opening? Okay. Uh, I don't know. Is it? I think yeah. we should have a very awkward opening. I think that's where we're, we're on the path. I think that. we should definitely publish this part and make it as awkward <laughs> yeah, as possible. For sure. We should do a front front. Yeah. Let's talk shit about something. All right. <laughs> Fury is making a new game. Oh, well, yeah, I can't talk shit about, about them. I'm excited about that. <laughs> You've heard most of the voices that are on the podcast today. Uh, I'm Brian. Joining me, we've got Adam. You've heard his voice. Uh, you heard Cullen. Cullen Black. Welcome back Hi. to the podcast. Uh, we have Josh Torres. And he didn't I, speak up yet, but yeah. we also have James Galizio. Hey, folks. Nice cold open experiment. I like this experiment. Let's do it next week. <laughs> We're going to roll with it. Uh, we'll see what the people want. And then, yeah. What the, no what's the name of this podcast? And what's your name? Were you? Uh, who? I said who I was. Did you? I don't remember. I don't remember. But Brian is my name. This is okay. the Tetracast. Nothing happened this week. Okay. Nothing at all. Nope. That's good. So there's the end of the podcast, right? No. right? Yep. No, no, no games to talk okay. about. That's it. Games are canceled. No, uh, we, we are recording this on Saturday, Saturday, February 24th. Obviously, the big two things of this week are the review embargo for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. We published that review up on our website two days ago. I mean, it's if you're anywhere online in a gaming sphere, you'll probably be seeing that everywhere by the time you're listening to this podcast. Of course, the demo is out and expanded, so... If you're listening to this podcast before the release date on February 29th and you're interested in the game, the demo is out and available. Otherwise, the game will release on Thursday. And then, of course, we had the Nintendo Direct Partner Showcase just a few days ago at the time of recording that had a lot of RPG-related topics that we're going to talk about. So those are kind of the seemingly big topics today. However, uh, we were discussing before going on to the recording today about pushing the main discussion of rebirth to next week because that will be then it'll be uh it'll be out and available we can have you know all not everyone that had early access be able to have some chance with the demo and with the full game and then we might even get um our reviewer for the game josh tolentino we might be able to get him on to talk about it as well uh so this week we had a few other games that have released in the last seven days that we're going to be starting with instead uh, the first of which is a game that we kind of talked about uh, on, I think, two or three weeks ago as potentially a sleeper hit for the um, for the space. And that is Last Epoch. So this is a game that was in early access and then uh, just released in the last week and has seemingly done pretty well, at least on the Steam space. And Josh has put some time into it. Uh, that is Josh Torres, the one that is present right now. So uh, we went ahead and kind of earmarked that to go first. So we can uh, hand it off over to Josh to talk about your time so far with Last Epoch. Yeah, so this is a game that Leah said came out in early access, uh, man, uh, I want to say at least five years ago. It's been in early access for quite some time. And, you know, it's 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 definitely this 11th hour game who both developed and published it. You can definitely tell it's like an action RPG that was made by action RPG fans. Yeah, throughout that whole early access process, this feels like a pretty like solid offering that's only like 35 bucks um and that's not on a discount that's just full price for it and it feels very very robust and pretty satisfying for if you're looking for something that's way, uh, more complex than diablo but not as complex as path of exile there's like a good middle ground of like having a wealth of like complex systems without going overboard because you know path of exile has earned that reputation and also it, it, it's warranted if you start 
researching how like you know what works in Path of Exile. Um, so there's like a good middle ground between uh, for that. Um, so the this game is uh, to talk about like the structure of it first. The you know one of the most important things in like an action RPG is like what are the class selections? What are like the the things you can? How can you build a character? Um, there's five base cl- base classes. There's a Sentinel, Acolyte, Primalist, Rogue, and Mage. And then picking one of these base classes um, will eventually uh, let you spec into one of three masteries for them. And there's a pretty permanent decision. Once you commit to a mastery, you can't take that back. So that's kind of one of the one one of the permanent things in the game where you can't like respec or re or you'd have to reroll into a new character. Um, basically. So, for example, uh, right now I'm a Warlock, and that's one of the three mastery classes for Acolyte, and these are all pretty robust um, different masteries, you know, like Lich, um, uh, you know, has its own, like, uh, gimmick. Necromancer, I assume, has its uh, gimmick, like, minions and raising the dead and all that stuff, while Warlocks are very dot-oriented, placing curses, uh, and so on, and then you know all the other base classes have their own thing going on. Like you know, Sentinel could be like a Forge Guard, Void Knight, and Paladin, and Mage can go like Rune Master, Spellblade, and Sorcerer. They all do very and different shit. Do you make that decision very early on, or is that like a specialization you tap into once you progress through the game? You progress through. You earn it like about I want to say uh, I want to say maybe three to four hours into a playthrough. Um, so you, you make that decision like somewhat early on in, in, in your, in your game, not, not like right at the beginning, you do have to put some hours, but you'll get there and then you're basically, uh, put the decision and then, and then tells you right away, Hey, you can't take this back. Um, make sure this is the one that you want, uh, essentially. Okay. And then uh, I guess to address, you know, the state that this is, this game has launched in, like a lot of the, obviously it's a pretty rough launch. It's it's sort of like you know suffering from success sort of like hell divers did where you know it's a pretty small studio relatively small studio it's not as big as blizzard i don't know if it's as big as uh grinding gear games with path of exile i don't think it is but you know a lot of people logged on uh and have been trying to play it online and can't connect because you know server issues there's a lot of you know they probably weren't expecting this much people to you know play uh you know at 1.0 release um but the nice thing about this is if you're like obviously if you wanted to play with friends or you wanted to trade with others you have to play online and that sucks you know the server issues you know hopefully will they'll get ironed out like hell divers and so forth um but if you want to as we're recording right now it's basically mm-hmm. at its peak like i'm looking at the steam charts thing and it's it's basically at it's not quite at its all-time peak but it's hovering right there literally as we record right now so it's at 230,000 right Oh wow, hundred thirty thousand. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good amount. Um, and so, but the nice thing is, like, if you just want to play and you're okay, okay with playing alone, like I'm fine with playing action RPGs like this, like Diablo alone. It's not no big deal. So there's a play offline option, and that works totally fine. the The main thing is like you cannot import an offline character into an online character. You have to commit. Um, so th- those are separate. Um, another nice thing about this game. Is that this thirty-five dollar price is pretty set? Is there's not like there's microtransactions for cosmetics, but they're only cosmetics. 
Like even stuff like stash tabs, which is something you pay for additionally in Path of Exile, which is fair, that's her monetization scheme along with cosmetics, you know, and people praise like the monetization practices of Path of Exile throughout the years. But in this game, like I think it's pretty interesting that if you want to get more stash tabs for your inventory because you could be, you know, storing a lot of shit for, you know, systems all detail in a, in a bit, um, you just pay like in-game gold that you earned for new stash tabs. And, you know, Diablo 4, we won't really talk about its stash, stash tab situation because that game does a lot of bad decisions for action RPGs. Um, so that that's a really neat thing about it. Um, another neat thing about this game is as you're leveling your character, you're getting uh, not just uh, base character levels, but also like skill levels for your um, skills. So for, for for instance, as you're Every time you level up and some side quests, uh, you earn passive points. And as you earn passive points, it's hard, it's hard to describe this in text alone if you like, have like, a visual aid of like, what the passive tree looks like. You're, you're basically progressing along a bar, and each bar has like, a vertical column of like, different passives that you can spec that passive point into. So, you know, it could be like, the passive could be like, you know, points into a certain stat that you're specializing in. It could be like, um, uh, like an if then thing, like, like now, like, if you have a certain like amount of stats into something that'll that that will be used as a scale off of like warding, for example, which is like kind of like your shield that uh, protects your HP that can regenerate. Uh, that's it's a very very basic example. It's a, it's a very complex like game of like how you can manipulate what scales off of what. And the nice thing about it is like the there's the, the in-game tooltips do a pretty decent job um, explaining it, and there's like more, and then you can like hold the button to get like a more thorough explanation. And another cool thing is like this game has like an in-game guide that like you basically just like you press escape and then click game guide and then there'll be a game guide at the at the corner. It's like kind of like your encyclopedia that has its own search bar. So like if you're th- if you see like a term that you don't know, you just bring up that game guide in game and then you type it in the search box and then you'll get all relevant entries of like what has that term in there. So you can go you can just use in-game resources to teach yourself instead of going to like a third party site. Um you know, for clarification, like I think that that's definitely one of the strengths of its early access period. It's like, um, it, it gave them time to really flesh out. Okay, what what's info that like we can provide to the player in a concise manner, uh, which is nice. And another really cool thing about this game is it has like an in-game loot filter. So for people who don't know what a loot filter is, it's basically self-explanatory. Where you know, every time you kill something and it drops something, you know, not all, not. Not all loot is always going to be available, like not available, but um, relatable to your to your build. So, like, say I'm an acolyte and something drops, and it's like for a sentinel or a mage, I can't use that shit. I don't care about it. So, a very basic loot filter that you can establish early on is you set a rule that says, "Hey, hide all items that drop that are not for my class. Hide all items that are for sentinel, mage, rogue. I don't care. I'm an acolyte. I don't need to see that shit. If I can't use it, well, there's no point." Um, there could be uh, things like, um, like you could recolor like the 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 um, loot text. So, like, say, hey, if if a piece of loot that drops that has something like a percent uh, chance to bleed something, um, I want you to color that piece of loot red. So you could set that as a rule. It says, hey, recolor all items that have at least one affix or mod that says percent chance on bleed so i know right away in the middle of combat i should go pick up that piece of loot because it has 
a percent chance to bleed. I can just like check later if I could use that or not, but not not right there on the fly. So when things are getting chaotic on the screen, you just know which pieces of loot to, uh, loot to pick up because you already set a rule in that loot filter um, from the get-go, which is really, really handy and really nice. Um, I, I wish this was like a standard for like all uh, action RPG games. Now, that were, so like, if you set something heavy. to hide, like if you set something to hide that's not a class you want, does it just not drop at all or does it just drop it? It doesn't like give it a tooltip? Or does it, it, it automatically it, it, convert I, it to like the vendor price, or what does it do? I believe it just it, it'll. I, if it were to drop it, it just hides it from you, so you don't see it on your interface. So I'm oh, sure okay. if you if you disabled it right there, then like there was something for it there, it'll just show it to you. Because the thing about this game is that you don't want. It's not the type of game where like you want you want to pick up as much loot as possible to sell it to a vendor because the the sell prices to a vendor is pretty low. So you're you're better off saving your time and energy. Just not bothering to pick up that loot. It's that type of game. Like the 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 their main your money source in your inventory is yeah. more valuable than the item itself. Exactly, because one of the things that how how itemization is done in this game is like you're really when you when you think about how, how what kind of loot you want in this game, it's not necessarily a higher level means better loot. There's a game that's more focused on like um, there's two aspects to like you know any action RPG. Uh, of this kind when a piece of loot drops let's say gloves drop there's gonna be like it's base stats where like it'll be like hey this has a this armor value um it might have like another base stat of like this has you know uh this much intelligence on it and so forth and then there'll be secondary mods on it will be like this does like uh plus 30 percent fire resistance plus uh 15 percent uh lightning damage um and then it might have like an additional stat of like plus nine strength etc so the thing about the this game that you're really focusing on early on when during the leveling process like, i'm not at end game yet so i can't really say like how end game uh goes but uh, i've seen a, a seen some videos of like kind of the general gist of end game but when you uh, this correlates to the crafting system about these mods because when you instead of vendoring um items for like a minuscule amount of gold um you want to probably shatter them instead in terms of like i like like these gloves for example i don't exactly like there it might be gloves that i don't need but i do like that um plus uh uh 30 fire resistance and plus 15 percent lightning damage those mods m might be something i want uh because i can probably slot them into another piece of equipment through crafting later on so what i'll do is i'll buy an item to shatter it and it'll give me shards of that fire resistance of that lightning resistance it'll give me shards of those so i could use those shards to craft into another item uh, uh to add those resistances on that item instead does that make sense yeah i was actually gonna ask like is there any chance if you hide a weapon that you can't use that like i can't use that weapon but it's got an affix or a mod that I can use, and if there was a system to transmute or mm -hmm. salvage or yeah, shatter, yeah. like because you know you yeah. see that in Souls likes and Diablo likes, and I was wondering if there was a system equivalent system at play here. Yeah, so that's that my understanding. That's that that is how the shatter system works in that where like the grafting is pretty, it's pretty like generous for you of like anything that like there's a lot a lot of items and there's a lot of items that like you could kind of tinker with to make them feed into like another item uh, later on because there are 
like they might have like a useful mod and you want that mod so you get like a shard of that mod to slot into and further build up and craft like an item that you have for like um long-term use so let's say for example you get a legendary item and like it has um it, it has some a, a good amount of like mods on it but like you kind of wish it was just a little bit better so you can that you can feed it like shards that you shattered from other equipment into that um that aspect uh, of course like it, it, it this does go into like the gold economy as well i'm sure later on you'll be drowning in gold but like earlier earlier on if you're just a fresh new character in the leveling process like the 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 items to like shatter them are pretty costly so that's why you store shit in your inventory a lot because you'll be like i'll shatter that uh, later on um once i get like a, a stable econ- gold economy uh, going for myself um so going back to like this passive thing right so as you're leveling up you get you uh, you eventually get um choices on like what passives you want there's also another thing in the game where at certain level thresholds you'll get skill slots and you can basically each every single skill in the game is not as complex as path of exile in terms of like when people think of path of exile they think of like that crazy node map on it that like kind of defines your character build but like you kind of have to really know the ins and outs of it to kind of get the most out of it but every single skill in the game has its own like skill tree and it has like different branches and it has like it's not as complex as path of exile but it still has like a good amount of nodes and they um vastly change the properties of that skill depending on and, and it's up to you to decide like what you value the most what kind of skill scaling how you want to uh like basically transform that skill into like a, some sort of like build for yourself so for example i have this skill called uh fissure and this fissure uh costs uh, a good amount of mp and it makes a crack into the ground and like there's like spirits coming out of it and it's kind of, it's sort of like a miniature turret um effectively uh and so i'm like okay this the this skill is good it does a lot of um damage but it's not really scaling off of like my, my my build of choice and my build right now is a warlock it uses a lot of uh, a skill called chaos bolts and the this these chaos bolts have been modified to do a lot of dots and uh, as they hit and kill enemies they heal me and and there's a chance of like more chaos bolts spawn spotting if they kill something um etc so i'm primarily uh specializing to like a bleed chaos bolt build so uh, there's a there's a lot of things that happen um like if then statements happening when i put dots and bleed on on monsters so the more bleed stacks i can get the the better for like my character power state and uh, flow so one of the skill tree options in uh, this fissure is like your those spirits now you can you can they can scale off of physical and you can uh convert the damage type of these spirits into bleed or they become bleed spirits so like they they it has like a different like appearance too as you spec into them instead of like like a green aura it's now like a a a red crack in the ground and it's like it's like the, the spirits are all like bloody red now um as they're flowing out and now i have another source of bleed that feeds into my ecosystem of power um of course you could like you could probably there's other options on how you want to if you don't want it if if you're not going bleed instead you're doing like an ignite build for example because ignite and bleed have different 
um, properties and different, you know, uh, roads of power. Um, and so you could, if if that was your build, you could instead go down that route of like, hey, I don't want this to, I want this to ignite instead of bleed or ignite instead of its base properties. Um, so it's 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 that kind of action RPG where it's like, it's a lot, but it's way more um, flexible and um, interesting than like something like Diablo, where in Diablo, for example, for example, it's a very linear tree, and like the and the skill tree has like it barely does anything that looks cool. Like for example, they they had that linear tree, and like there'll be little pips pip nodes off of uh, that branch out of like a thing, and then like it'll be uh. One pip will be like uh, more damage, and the other pip will be like uh, more critical damage, and it's like okay, cool, yeah. Diablo Forest's tree has a high proportion of passives, which is kind of convenient from like an ease of use because it's like I don't have to think about it; I just click it, and then I and then it's active all the time, I, and I don't have to engage with it. I just select it, and I'm stronger. But yeah, there is no visual indication; there's no flavor to it. I want to say. Diablo 3 was a little better at that. Uh, it's been a while, but I remember Diablo 3, like you would pick a skill and then you would augment that skill in one of two or three ways. And Diablo 4 is a little bit of it, but I feel like 3 was better. Yeah. That changed how just... the animation looked mm. or um, how, like, like, for example, like the Hydras for, for Sorceress. And, uh, like, you know, you could have Venom Hydras or Lightning Hydras in Diablo mm -hmm. 3. And then you see the visual change in that. And Diablo it's... 4 had a tiny bit of that. But yeah, a lot of it is just like you do the same ability, but now it gives you barrier too. And you're like, oh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, and so and so and then and then this game also has like a pretty like forgiving respect system where like you know as you um, get farther along to like leveling like a skill, it'll get you you'll get like additional bonuses. Like if you decide to respect later down the line, you'll uh, like it'll have like a base minimum like level it'll go to instead of being respect all the way back to one. And you have to build it up again. So it it is like you know respect still has a cost, but it's not like it's not grave. For example, it's not like you're regrinding um all the way back up again so I've, i'm still in the leveling process it's fun like the the story is kind of whatever it's like you know you're the a traveler and you're trying to repair history and save you know the last humans with epoch and time traveling like the nice thing about like that because it's a time travel story you get a lot of like environmental variety and monster designs so i was streaming it one night to adam and I just randomly walked into this portal and it uh, transported me back to like minus negative six thousand BC or whatever. And then Adam's like, "Wait a minute, there was yeah, he's like, fighting velociraptors or whatever. Like there are no dinosaurs in six thousand BC. I think I think you have to go a bit <laughs> further back than that." It's really funny because like I'm just fighting dinosaurs all of a sudden when <laughs> going this um thing. But um, but you know, along the way, like you know, you. I think I think one of the bummer things as you're during, during the early level process, like a lot of like the environments early on are like very dark and dank and not really you can barely see shit, which is like whatever. But then once like once you reach like chapter five, you get to like a like a desert area, and so you get these see get to see things a lot. You see like scorpions, all sort all sorts of shit. Um, but it it is definitely a game that's like it is more complex than way more complex than Diablo. So it, it it is definitely a game that like you have to sit down and sort of kind of think about what you want to do uh, when you're going through menus of like okay, what kind of build do I want to go for because like e even during the leveling process it's no pushover. Like 
like the enemy density in this game is not not as crazy as Path of Exile, but easily more than Diablo. And it doesn't pull its punches. Like enemies will hoard you. They can gang up on you, and you if you if you don't have like um a, a decent idea of like what, of how your defenses are gonna go, um you're gonna get ripped to shreds pretty fast. Like uh, a, a major thing in like Path of Exile, for example, is resistances. Um, you re- like when you think about like are like typical traditional RPGs in the console space, or like you know another like Diablo, for example. Like you don't really think about resistances a lot, like as you just said, your base defense is usually like high enough that it's it's forgiving, or like you can you can um, take hits and it won't be that big of a deal. Um, but like things like in Path of Exile, for example, if you don't, if you're not paying attention to like elemental resistances, uh, you're gonna grip, get ripped to shreds pretty fast because um, one of the things in that game is that at every point of resistance uh, that you put into like a uh, one of those elements is a pretty big deal for your character in surviving, and uh, I don't—I wouldn't say Last Epoch isn't like as crazy as Path of Exile, but you still—you can still feel the difference on like on but uh, if you're paying attention to your resistances, like I have like I'm capped at like seventy-five percent physical resistance. I have some I have like maybe like thirty to thirty-five percent in fire resistance, but like zero percent in void resistance. And like when I went to a void zone and I got like hit by like a few. Void shots. My character got fucking shredded because I didn't have any resistances uh, to void. Um, so I had to think a, a little bit about like, okay, um, what can I uh, equip? What can I like craft to like get better survivability? And like, you know, and the, the game will give you like tools like idols, for example, for that. Which is like the the idol thing is really funny because these are items that you can slide into like this idol board in your character. And it's a little bit like Tetris, where you can't rotate these idols, but you have to think about like the they they can serve they they consume like slots. It could be like a it could be like a two by two. It could be like it could be like three. It could consume three spaces vertically. It's basically like these little trinkets that have like their own mods on them, and like you can equip to them as many as you want. But the, uh, but the caveat is they all have to fit into your like your idol slot board. So uh, as you're as you're leveling and doing quests, you unlock more of these slots. But in the meantime, you have to kind of like almost puzzle your way into like get, like equipping as many as you can that are like useful to you, um, and so forth. So that's kind of like my very very like early uh, experience at Last Epoch. I have like maybe I don't know several hours into it. It's been it's it's like I treat it as one of those games that's not like super high commitment. I just like if I just want to like kill shit fast at an action RPG. Um, I just boot that up and play for like an hour or so, and then continue on in my day. It's just it's just very rewarding in that aspect of being a pick up and play game uh, for me. The only question I have is based on like the the one of the things the one of the big things about Diablo Four is that it had a pretty much open world at the start instead of having like each. I guess it was in a lot of ways it was still similar to the other Diablo games where each area of the open world would correspond to an act kind of instead of it being just a separate map. Like how how does just like exploration progression work in Last Epoch? Is it like linear zones or wide linear or oh, so these these are zones that like you kind of you kind of phase into a map into like the next map, but it's like if you see like the overworld map there's actually like like a lot of like branching zones so like you can go like to like a totally optional area because you wanted to like you were interested to see what was there or there there was actually an interesting thing when I saw the overhead map where I could have uh, there was like this unique like 
marker where it's like a boot with like a, a feather on it. And I think there's like one of the and it, what it highlighted is that there's an alternate leveling path. You can skip like a certain amount of areas, but you have to go uh, beat this dungeon to proceed. Uh, and it's like I think it's for those players that don't want to go to the whole campaign again, so they can go to the, toward that path and get a more faster mainstream line into the end game because they've already done maybe the campaign at a certain point in early access and they don't want to redo it again. Um, but there's a lot of like zones in the game that you can just like see it over head map. It's like oh I could go to this zone. I don't have to, but I want to see what's there. And you're free to go do so. Um, you know, it won't stop you from doing that. So there's a lot of exploration. It's not fully open world. It's all very zone based. But you know, there's still a large amount of like places you can see and explore uh, on your own. You get to flesh that out. And the fast travel system is you know pretty robust because like it, it's the same as like any action RPG. We have like these warp portals um, where you can kind of if you if you found the warp portal to a zone, you can fast travel into that zone. Um, there's also a town portal that you just like instantly summon for no cost. So if you need to go back to town real fast to go do some shit, um, to get to clear your inventory, you can just just in and out, um, as well. But, um, but yeah, but I haven't reached the end game yet. I'm still in the leveling, uh, part of the game and I'm looking forward to see like what the end game shapes up to be. Cause here's the thing, like, I don't fully hate Diablo 4. I, like, I generally enjoyed you know the leveling in that end game, but the end game of Diablo Four, I just despise. I cannot, and it's it feels like it's gotten worse uh, every time I check in on it. Um, so I so for me in this game, like the leveling process is like a little bit more enjoy, enjoyable than I did in Diablo Four. But I'm real, but the thing that obviously will make or break this game for me is like what did the what does the end game loop look like? What am I going for? Um, what's like kind of what are, what am I striving towards once i beat this campaign so do you know like how long the campaign's supposed to be i have no idea <laughs> i honestly don't know how long to beat Last <laughs> yeah because i because i know the 1.0 release they, they added more story elements to it so, or i don't know if that like if it's like they added more story to the end game or more story to the campaign or i don't know i haven't kept up with the early some people say, uh, like, uh, it's pretty varied, anywhere between 15 and 25. Okay. That for, main, for main, I don't know about exhaustive completionists, probably. Right. Higher. Yeah. So, so well, hopefully, you know, they fix up the uh, online issues, uh, hope, you know, obviously. And I, th- I think if you're, you don't have to get it right away, but, I, but if you're ever in the boot for, like, a good Diablo clone and you don't want to uh, invest a, a lot of your time to, like, learning something like Path of Exile, I think Last Epoch is a pretty good alternative uh, to that, where it's not as crazy as, as Path of Exile, but it's you know easily more complex and interesting to progress and um, build a, up a character than like Diablo um, at the moment. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm when is it, when is Diablo's expansion coming out? Because I know they kind of announced that earlier than I expected, and it's I don't know if they. Yeah, I think it's just this said year. this year, and that's it. I think they're aiming to have like an expansion out every year. <laughs> that game, but I, I don't remember where I read that up. Um, but there, there's also the Path of Exile 2 uh, beta uh, opening up uh, later this year as well. And I think I will try. I will do my best to like. I wanna. I, I wanna get into Path of Exile 2. It looks really cool. I like, and it looks not. It does. It looks like it's not as like crazy as Path of Exile, but it feels like there's a good like 
overhaul that's still as complex but not as crazy maybe based on one yeah like a good like baseline foundation to like learn it from the ground up that, that's what I, eventually what i want to do in terms of like action isometric stuff like this well thank you josh for covering uh the steam suffering from success hit of the of the week yeah. of last epoch the last year it was always pc ports that just barely ran and this year it's pc ports that have too many players yeah. uh even i i forget if it was in our podcast or if it was just in a discord recording earlier in the week but adam and mar we have a brother who was playing Helldivers, mm-hmm. um and basically was like i can't get online <laughs> yeah he, and, uh, he, was, he wasn't following yeah, he's uh, one. He's one of the people who like, they had no idea about this game and just heard about it because it's apparently exploded everywhere. And he's like, "I want to play this game, but I can't." Yeah, he texted you that. It was like, "Hey, yeah. did, uh, did, did, did they fix the server?" Yeah, he's asking me if they <laughs> fix the servers. Like, I don't know. I mean, I would assume they are aware. He's like, "Why won't they fix the servers on my Sony public?" Adam, please fix the Helldiver servers. What are you doing? The second game that we have listed here is another late February release, uh, another game that we got the review up on the site uh, just a couple days ago, and that is the new entry in Sheeran the Wanderer, Sheeran the Wanderer, the Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island. So this game released uh, earlier in January for Japan, and then we had to wait a month here in the West to get it officially, and James was able to cover this game for us. I believe, James, you had a few opportunities prior to release to play this game, and then you were able to also just get the full Western release as well and wrote up the review for us. Yep. You uh, talked so, about your time with Sheeran, I think, was it four and six a couple weeks ago? We, I know or, you played two of them. Yeah, I played four and five previously. This four is Sheeran six. So, oh, this is six, not seven. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I did do the preview event. Uh, I believe it was last month. It, it, yeah, I think it was January, <clears throat> which uh, was my first opportunity to uh, play the game. I enjoyed it then, and I was looking forward to uh, getting access to the full version of the game. And so, uh, yeah, we've had it for about three weeks now and put quite a bit of time into it. I did some of the uh, post-game stuff, and I think my main takeaway in the review is that it's kind of interesting or fascinating. Because a lot of times when you get sequels to games that kind of simplify things, it doesn't really feel like it has a positive impact on the game itself. At least I feel that way. I feel like there's a lot of games that have tried to go a bit more simple with their uh, follow-up releases, and I've almost always felt like it just makes the game feel a bit more hollow. But Sheeran 6 is interesting because it removes a lot of features that like Sheeran 4 and 5 had. Like It removes the day and night cycle. It removes the ability for like equipment to just get stronger at naturally as you use them. And uh, it, it it's, it's weird because the changes that they have made, like those stuff, like, and also like removing stuff like undo grass or escape grass, which means that you can't just like leave the dungeon. If you're in a tricky spot, it makes it so it feels like that you're really forced to engage with the mechanics that are still in the game. And the end result is, is that even though there's less features on paper, like the average like playthrough, since you have to consider your actions a lot more than in like I feel like you you had to in four and five, and it's really kind of neat. I think let's like establish a baseline. So for people who don't know Sheeran, right, that is a pretty interesting like uh, mystery dungeon uh, sort of game where uh, normally 
nothing will move unless your character moves. Uh, and so, like, just a, just sort of a baseline, like, for people who don't know Shuren the Wanderer at all, it's been... It's been uh, let's start by saying that it is yeah. essentially a... Uh, start, it was birthed out of a Dragon Quest spinoff, which is always sort of yeah. funny. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Torneco's yeah. engine. So. so so for people who don't know Shirin, like what would like be your kind of pitch to them on like what Shirin the Wanderer Six is like say this is their gonna be their first Shirin game. Okay. So depending uh, me... on their age, I might even say, Hey, did you play those yeah. uh mystery dungeon games as like, kids? That's a Pokemon, Pokemon game, ones? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you play Digimon World? Digimon or World 2 is sort of mystery dungeon-ish, which is sort of funny because mm-hmm. like I never played Digimon World 1 or 3 or any other one, but I played 2 and I didn't realize until later like, oh, that pretty much is a mystery dungeon game. It is. I mean, with like a turn-based battle system though, but the dungeons well, themselves. Here, here's so. a real question. Here's a real question. Did they play Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon? I imagine a lot of people didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I really should though. Is that on Steam? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, that's one on of those PlayStation Enix, Switch. That's one of those Square oh, okay. Enix re-releases, remasters where they didn't do a PC port for some reason. Yeah. I reviewed it. It's okay. Yep. But anyways, uh, so yeah, like uh, if you've ever played any sort of mystery dungeon game, just think of Sheeran as a more hardcore version of those, because it's way more deliberate. I think deliberate would be the right word. Because unlike in Pokemon, where obviously you usually enter with like a gr- like a group of uh, Pokemon, you have like special attacks and whatnot and all that sort of thing. With Shirin, every single time you enter in a dungeon, you're going to start from level one. And most of the time, you're going to start with nothing else. Maybe like a little bit of uh, food, but that's it. And it's like, okay, you're going to have to go through this entire dungeon with uh, nothing but your wits about you, and you need to make your decisions on what to pick up, what to sell, what to like use, what to... Basically, it's like, okay, the only way you can be successful in Sharon the Wanderer is by understanding what, like, what enemies and, and what their abilities are going to be as you're going through a dungeon, and you have to make a plan, like gotta think like three steps ahead that's sort of thing this new Shirin the Wanderer game for people who've never played a Shirin game before would this be an okay one to start with does it like does it at least it's a great one to start with players? Okay. yeah yeah it's like okay. I, like I said in my review it's like as a consequence of them uh, simplifying things a bit they've also made it a point where they slowly dole out some mechanics as you're going through like your different runs you'll have like these story scenes that at the end of them, you'll eventually get something that'll make it a lot easier to go through these dungeons. But it's also got the knock-on effect of, okay, if you're good at Sheeran already, you can kind of breeze through these, and it's not that much like of a wait to get access to these features. But if you're new to the series, it offers a really good kind of like on-ramp to get used to how a Sheeran game plays. And, and, and to be clear, like the difficulty is part of the series' identity. Like this is. Yeah. This is this is kind of the this the series kind of prides itself on like hey it's tough but fair like you it's just you have to learn what what, what the game is telling you essentially. I, I, I think it's one of those games that it's. I feel like there's a lot of games that this is true for. It's not. I I played only five for the mid first Shiren specifically, but it's it's like 
it's tough, but once you sort of learn, you know, the patterns and like how to play it, it's really not too bad. It's just, I think it's sort of just a learning curve in terms of realizing how you're supposed to approach it. So, yeah. Did you, I know one of the new features that I, that this also wasn't like the Atrithms uh, recent release, where there's this mode where as you're the traveling, streamer every, overlay? Yeah, yes. everything's just like at a glance. Did you use that a lot during your playthrough? Yes. Yes. It's okay. very useful because, uh, even less so for like, oh, if I'm streaming this, I can like, everyone can see what's in my inventory. It makes it far easier where it's like, okay, instead of scrolling through my entire inventory, when I open up, uh, when I'm stuck in a tricky situation, I can just be like, okay, let me scan my entire, like, like, uh, inventory, what my, what Sharon's status is and be like, okay. What is the least worst option to proceed? <laughs> okay, a lot of times, a lot of times in, in Sheeran is uh, when you get stuck in a uh, tricky situation. It's not figuring out the best option to proceed. It's figuring out the what option has the lowest chance of me dying. Mm-hmm. And that, so. that I'm trying to remember what that was. That's like less menuing. Like you can see some of your stuff in in the corner of the window without having to pull up your inventory screen. Yep. Yeah, I was thinking I was like that must be a really useful feature for that uh, for this kind of game. I remember seeing that in one of the um like gameplay trailers. I didn't realize it was like framed as like a streamer interface. That just seems kind of like I suppose that's not I, I I wouldn't have called it that. Like that seems like a little bit meta in a way. I don't know. Well, a lot of, a lot more games have been doing that, and I mean it's smart. Like, and I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm not sure if the main reason why Sharon Six has been blowing up in Japan is because of that, but I'm sure that it's helping because you go on YouTube and you you look up Sharon Six, and it's like, oh, that sure is a lot of videos from YouTube um, from VTubers about this game. I, I guess I guess it was smart to include it. Yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe that's exactly what it should be called. It's a smart audience to go after and just like doing whatever you can to make like streamers who would want to promote your game's life easier without like downright kind of compromising on the vision. Yeah, it's it's a win-win and also like for a game like Sharon it does feel like a game that benefits from going after that streamer audience because it's like it's very reactive. Mm-hmm. It's very much oh shit this happened. It's like oh fuck I'm in a monster house. Oh god that <laughs> I'm in a really uh, sticky situation, all that sort of thing. So I, I think it was smart. I think it was smart. So in terms of like, I think uh, for returning Sheeran players who haven't played obviously a new one in forever, like what are some of like the the new what's some of the new things in Sheeran the Wanderer series that they'll like notice right away? That's like, oh, this is definitely different from past iteration. Well, it's 3D this time, mm-hmm. like uh, Sheeran one. four and five, which were like uh, pixel art. Which is a shame. Like one of the things I did mention in my review is that visually the game is disappointing. Not mm-hmm. so much because of the 3D models themselves, but for whatever fucking reason, they did, they looked at the Link's Awakening remake and specifically the terrible Vaseline filter they have for like oh. a fake depth of field effect. And they're like, mm-hmm. we should copy that. And I know it's a fake depth of depth of field effect because it's like it it's it's so it's so obvious it's not actually a real like effect it's just a filter on top of the uh screen and it just looks bad it looks yeah. bad um to kind of uh mention as well uh i'm i've also been playing the game 
Okay. Uh, not as much as James has been, uh, because I had a really funny uh, situation I was telling James about where in the very first floor of my very first dungeon, I lucked out with some of the best gear you can get for like the first like half of the game. <laughs> and I eliminated the difficulty so much so that I got kind of bored. But I can acknowledge that like what is here is still pretty fun. Mm. Well, that's, uh, yeah, but that's like here, that's RNG, baby. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's not a looker. Um, and James, this is only out on Switch, right? Yep. That's just so weird. It's like, it feels like a game that would benefit from a PC release, and I'm sure it'll get ported eventually. I'm sure it'll get ported eventually. Oh, yeah. That's what I was expecting, too. But it's uh, definitely, it's, I do miss the visuals from uh, Sharon 5. I was going to say Sharon 4 as well, but that game's uh, character designs are, as I've mentioned in the past, very, very unfortunate, but mm-hmm. uh, visually, like, the um, the uh, the art style, the traditional, like, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon sprite style um, Sharon games are just, like, really, they look really neat. Definitely uh, kind of liked that. And I, and, and I want to be clear, like, Sharon 6 doesn't look, except for the filter, doesn't look bad it, it just looks, looks disappointing yeah yeah um because I, the, those old games have such a like unique art style and you've kind of gone to something a bit more generic that still is like good and like it you will like I, I wouldn't say the game's a looker but i don't think the game looks like downright that bad i will say i will say considering the other mystery dungeon game that's on switch being pokemon mystery dungeon rescue team deluxe I feel like they should have gone for an art style closer to that because, like, Rescue Team Deluxe had the very stylized, like, textures and whatnot. And I think that that would have worked really well with Sharon. You kind of go for that watercolor, like, kind of almost like calligraphy look. I think that would have been a smart move instead of what they ended up with. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, always, it's, I, I, it's always interesting to see, like, when um, in a series' lifespan, like, and that transition to 3D, how it's um, perceived. Uh, like, one of the, like the more elegant examples is like from Marvel vs. Capcom two, from Marvel vs. Capcom three, where like they still were able to like maintain that comic book look in three D, which uh, translated well for that game. But a less elegant example would be like Street Fighter three Third Strike to Street Fighter four, where it had that that, that ink um, uh, facet to it with the with the focus attacks, but the character models themselves were very exaggerated. Everything was very round and muscular and cartoony but it didn't really it was like in that era where like everyone was still like you know third strike had like one of the best like 2d pixel animations uh ever and then going from that to like street fighter 4 is just like it was a big big stark contrast and took a, a big adjustment period to like what otherwise was an excellent game at that time so i, I feel you on that What's uh what, what's what? the performance like on Switch? Like, are, but but the, but these visuals are, are they still at a thirty FPS cap, or can they bump the frame rate higher on on it for these visuals? Like, what's going on I, there? I think it's hard to tell because of the fact it's like a turn based game. But I do yeah. think it's sixty FPS. I do think okay. it's sixty. Okay. But uh, it, it doesn't really matter too much though, because yeah. again, it's like it's it's not a game where thirty versus sixty would really be a major deal. Yeah, because so. everything's still frozen at the at the end of the day yeah. until like you move, so it's still very menu based in a way. Yep. What were you saying, Brian? 
uh, I, I had two thoughts in my mind. I f- remember one of them and forget the other. The, other, the one I remember was like, I've played a game like this. Final Fantasy Test, uh, 10-2, Last Mission. That's basically a mystery dungeon game. Yep. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, oh, I remember. Basically, like, also the art style. You, neither you or Colin said this outright, but it, you kind of implied it. I think is that it's not that this art style is bad. It's just the the um, Sharon Five art style was quite good and endearing, and you've kind of you've kind of lost that. You're kind of missing what you no longer have, and it's like, ah, yeah. oh, this is what they this is what they replaced it with. It's not bad, but it's not what it was. I'm just kind of in the. Uh... I like sprites bucket. The sprites are good. And like, I know we have like some of the HD 2D stuff, but I also kind of just like the more like classic sprites, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, I don't mind 3D games, obviously, but I like sprites. That's pretty much where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Sprites are good. Yep. And then James did write up a review for Sharon the Wanderer, the Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island, and it's up on rpgsite.net. Yeah, you, 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 gave it, you gave it the same score as FF7 Rebirth. That, and that, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. So you're saying it's as good as those games. And Persona. Yes. And <laughs> we just give every game, we just give all games nines now. Yeah, there we go. Except Banishers. That's down to seven. That, that, Finally that, free that from the eight curse. The comments. <laughs> yeah, we always gave eights. Now we always gave nines. Take that. This has been a fucking strong year already for RPGs. It's so. it's really funny how, like, and I was saying this earlier on Twitter, it's like this year, for a lot of people, I can already tell they're going to be disappointed with the game releases, but it's like, for us specifically, it's like, oh man, too and much, too much. I actually much. saw that the the Metacritic score for uh, Shiren is pretty high, like high 80s, or it was. Nice. And I know Metacritic's not the end-all be-all, but just trying to get, like, a what's the general reception on this game just kind of a very broad stroke seems like people like it you know so that's that's really cool because i know that previous mystery dungeon games like had a lot of issues like uh, reviewing well so seeing like uh, sheeran just do as well as it has like critically is like oh man i guess uh, folks are really starting to realize what this uh style of game actually is <laughs> I th- like uh, I, I'll wait for the PC release. I'm definitely interested in playing this, but it, it's going to have a tough time because it's such a, a busy. Like I, I, I say, I say this, but we see a lot of like other games like see success, you know, already. But I, I think especially for Shiren because of its niche nature and being so close to FF7 Rebirth's release date, it's I, you know, I hope I hope, I hope for the best. It, it's already seen success in Japan, but I, you know, it's it's not as well known in you know outside of Japan as. Most people are going to see the game's title and think that this is a totally new series because there's no number on it. Yeah, but they did. They also didn't have a number on the Tower of Fate. Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, I need to play more of the game. Um, and I get my issue was it came well, like I we got our code in like right around when Persona came out and, uh, that's my obsession. So I've just been playing that nonstop all through February. But it's a it's a really really like solid Sheeran game, at least from my experience so far. And then the third game that we have earmarked here is, of course, the aforementioned Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And 
like I kind of said at the outright, we'll probably introduce it here, but we're going to hope to get a few more people who had access to the game uh, on potentially next week's podcast. Also, by then, the game will be out, so anyone who didn't have access will be able to at least start the game as it releases on Thursday. Uh, so just for full disclosure, um, Josh Tolentino uh, did cover the game for us at RPG Site and wrote up the review on RPGSite.net. Uh, Alex Donaldson, the uh, RPG site boss, did also cover the game on VG247 and wrote the review there. Uh, I had access to a copy as well as James, so we've been playing that over the last month. And you'll probably see a lot of guide features come out on the game for us. And then, of course, we have the demo that I that was just recently expanded to include the um, not only the Nibelheim flashback, but a snippet of the Junon area gameplay. Uh, before we started recording the podcast, Josh, you had mentioned that you had started the demo, but you didn't really put any time into it. Did I understand that correct? Yeah, so what I basically did is I downloaded this 50 gigabyte demo, I booted it up for less than two minutes, made a save, and then I quit because I just wanted like the goodies that you got for it, but I want to mm-hmm. play the nibble. I, I want to play all that content in the full release. But in preparation for this release, I recently finished a replay of F7 Remake and uh, Intermission just to you know refresh my memory and stuff. Good to go. I'm ready. I can be as ready as yep. you can. I'm, unless, you know, I, I already played the, the original FF7, like, uh, I think like four to five years ago, so I don't, I don't want to do it again right now. And uh, I was like, should I replay Crisis Core? I'm like, nah, it's, it's like kind of thin plot-wise, so like, it, it's... I, I don't need to replay that, I think. I just... I, I squeezed that in. Adam, when did I play that? I played that, like, early January before Event Wealth came out. Yeah, and I remember I was kind of su- I was kind of surprised at the time that you know when when Crisis Core Reunion was was announced, people thought it might have like remake content in it, and it really didn't. It played it straight. It's basically just yeah. uh, an upres of the PSP game. Uh, so yeah, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. We'll do a like a, maybe like a 10, 15 minute introduction to it here. Of course, this introduction is going to be no spoilers. Uh, this is just going to be the same sort of stuff that you would read in our review up on the website or Alex's review on VG Two Four Seven. But we'll introduce it here, and then we'll kind of go full full into it um, on next week's episode of the Tetracast, whether or not we can get Josh and Alex on on board to to record with us. So I don't want to. I guess I'll hand the microphone over to to James to start out with, because James, you a few years back, you were kind of like marathoning through the Final Fantasy series. Um, I think you made it all the way through the original FF Seven, and that's a. And then you switched over to remake. Uh, is that? Do I have kind of well, the history right there? Not quite. So basically, I got through like Final Fantasy Six, and then I took that detour to Final Fantasy Eleven with you for a bit, and then yep. I kind of just. Uh, I, I think it was like a something happened. Like maybe it was like a super busy time for RPGs, and it just kind of got derailed for a bit. So it's like mm-hmm. I actually only played through the Midgar section of uh, Seven in like 2022 or something. And then I put it down for a bit. And then I uh, played through Remake last year because we got invited to the TGS uh, preview event. And I was like, well, I'll just play through Remake now because I've done the Midgar section of the original. So it's like, okay, whatever. Um, and then I actually got um, went back to uh, finish uh, Original 7 uh, last month. So I... Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> So what are your thoughts so far on 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 remake? On or on rebirth, sorry. Rebirth? Yeah, uh rebirth. It's really, really good. Uh, I think my main problem with it is that I think that while the open world nature of it generally works, 
I do think that the area design in specific regions is a bit of a nightmare. I think that uh, Josh, too, pointed it out in his review that uh, Gongaga especially is just like an absolute nightmare. I agree with that. And I, th- okay. and I feel like you probably agree with that, too. Okay, so Josh and I are the ones more... here who haven't played this. Now, I've read Josh's review. I read Alex's review. Alex is our boss, but he wrote a review for VG247. And I've kind of read a couple of other impressions and whatnot. A lot of people really, really like this game, for for sure. Um, there are just a few things that I've kind of seen commonly uh, mentioned here and there. One is that it is an open world game and you have like five different open world zones and that some are better than others. And you, if you look at it, maybe cynically, you are kind of doing the sort of the same things in each zone in terms of what you would sort of expect in terms of, you know, fighting special monsters or collecting things or what have you. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a positive or negative thing, just more about that's a difference in game design in this in Rebirth compared to Remake for sure, which was more of a straight, you know, straight shot. But also being sort of like the middle game in a trilogy, I have heard some criticisms about like the story doesn't really have like a beginning and it sort of maybe spins its wheels as I think how Josh, uh, how our reviewer put it where it's maybe more character-focused. Now, I don't want to get into spoilers, but it's just kind of that middle game of a series story effect where it's maybe the plot kind of takes a back seat in a way for, like, character moments. Not necessarily, again, that that's good or bad, but just sort of just being aware of that's what you're going to, what you can expect. Well, I was going to start with, like, actually, like, I really enjoyed this game. And when Josh, Josh did score it a 9... And he was he was flirting with the idea of a ten. We kind of kind of discussed it and talked about like what do we think are pros cons relative to the remake, et cetera. A lot of things that came into mind, but obviously the text of the review is more important than what whatever we ultimately decided on as the number. But when I was thinking about because I was playing this game early, but not for review, but I was still kind of like bouncing ideas off him. I was kind of thinking, remember back to two thousand what fifteen, like the E three of dreams where they announced remake. I think it was fifteen. Uh, and then Last Guardian, and then a few other things. I forget what, what all it was. But when people imagined what a Final Fantasy VII remake, lowercase, might look like, I feel like it would. people would imagine in their mind's eye that it might look like what Rebirth looks like. In terms of one thing that I think Rebirth does really well that I don't think Square Enix has ever done that well before is just like the sheer variety of environments, of art assets, of just enemy variety like obviously remake it the first game kind of by default is entirely in midgar so they're they're limited in what they can do either for better or for worse in terms of what the areas look like how open they can make it um the assets the the environments we're here it's the exact opposite. You start out outside of Midgar in the city of Calm, and Calm is like fully realized. In the original game, it was a handful of pre-rendered scenes, that, like, a few tiles, and now it's like a multi-leveled, really like a believable town where you can enter like the, the market stalls and the shops, and then you go into the grasslands outside of that, and then you proceed on to um, the Junon region, and it's like and it's canon, and the area underneath the city, and you go on into the desert, and into the forest, and into you know, and basically the fact that every single area, Costa de Sol, is so fully realized, it makes the idea of Square Enix doesn't know how to make HD towns. I know that's like a throwback, and maybe hasn't been true since what maybe thirteen two was the first time they really had a chance to like with what was it called Arcadia Academia, whatever it was called in thirteen two. Um, 
But then like Final Fantasy 16 maybe kind of took a step back where they didn't really have much in the way of good exploration inside of their townscapes. It was more of a backdrop than anything. And you could argue that that was the design of the game. It was more of an action set piece game rather than uh, an RPG in the style of Rebirth. But I think that's one of the things where Final Fantasy Rebirth really shines is that these little areas that whether you play the original game or not, I think everyone here, including James, now that he's played it, has played the original FS7. So that's the mindset we're coming in from. And like, yep, this is Casa del Sol. Yep, yeah, this is Junon. And, so I was talking like, about this, this with, a, with another friend and his uh, basically kind of, he had a similar thought to you, but framed a little differently in that basically people like doing those. So I guess Final Fantasy 16, as I understand it, was a lot of like just cutscenes and combat. Like not much in terms of exploration. Mm-hmm. I know there were side quests. Um, there was there was there was very 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 little reason to ever stray from the main path in in a, in a zone in FF sixteen. But Rebirth has to, has exploration. Yeah. It has mini games, tons of them, as I understand, which I know the original did too. Um, and then has you know different characters you can use and all those other RPG components that I gather that you know seem to make it a fully fledged game. Fully fed RPG for yeah. sure. I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to go into too much. You know, right. we just said we're, we're not trying to. I know people are going to be very careful week. about spoilers, but but yeah. I did want to say just like the environment, just I exploring the environments, the cities was really enjoyable, and the open world aspect to it. I really don't think, as someone who almost lost their wits end at like Witcher three, like all the mm. points of interest in Dragon Age Inquisition, Final Fantasy seven rebirth, I do think strikes a slightly better balance. There's maybe like a dozen objectives in a region and then you move on. And then there's a dozen objectives and then you move on. So it's not like so overwhelming that you I would yeah, compare it to more spoken. <laughs> uh, it's better than like infinitely better. That's yeah, huge. Holy. But also I maybe bought. maybe I'll dig into this next week when we discuss in detail. But yep, mini game and I I I saw some people say they really didn't enjoy it. I loved it. Uh, to me, it's it's I know I'm not the first person to make this point of comparison, but I'll make it here for the recording's sake. It reminds me in a way of Infinite Wealth in terms of like you're doing the main story, but how about this diversion here? You should try out this thing. If you do it, you'll get you'll get something that benefits you in the main story. I've heard a lot of like comparisons to like there's like big like a dragon energy at some points in this game where like there's like it's like it's there's like goofy moments in it that like that that people compare it to like oh this I've seen this as Yakuza dragon. Um Mm -hmm. but try to like kind of emulate that style. Obviously not replicate it, but you know it's in that same spirit or energy at the and then the thing is is that like the and this is the last thing i'll say on it before we you know put a pin in it for next week is that the mini games usually what they'll do is you're encouraged to play through them because they gave you material items so you don't have to like for instance in calm in from the original game you you ride the dolphin up into upper junon and naturally they turn that into a mini game i think that works perfectly and like, if you do that, you can get some materia. And then there was there was there was one mini game that actually um, Paul, another contributor to the site, was like, I can't score high enough to get the time materia, the one that teaches you like haste and slow. Please tell me you can get it later. And we're like, yes, Paul, you can get it later. He's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so yeah, so being so being able to do the mini games will like the, yes, they're just di- they're fun diversions on their own, and most of them are not not to the same level always, but most of them are pretty well realized. I enjoyed them, and some of them can be quite yeah. challenging. Uh, and but yeah, like yep, I did well uh, in that mini games. Now I get Brian, time Brian, earlier than hmm? Brian. I think it's time. I think yep, I think time. we need to talk about Queen's Blood. 
But I was gonna mention this too. I was like, I think the game, the, this game's gonna kill me because I keep on hearing nothing but praise for Queen's Blood, and I'm a big triple triad nut. So well, before we go, do that, real quick, this game is made in mm-hmm. Unreal Engine, right? This one is. Yes. Yes, and it's Unreal I, Engine four. That probably helps with the mini games because Unreal Engine is so versatile that it can do that. <laughs> um, like can different styles before we, or maybe like after we get into um. I guess that uh, Queen's Blood thing. Uh, I wanted to talk about the part of the demo with like Nibelheim because I have played the demo. Uh, okay, I didn't have a sure. chance to speak up though. Uh, we can talk about yeah. the mini game first though. I just um, I have a perspective that I guess is unique for this call where I have played the demo. Um, <laughs> like because okay. Josh okay, says I, 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 they yeah. just skipped it, but I'll, yeah, I'll say one thing about Queen's Blood, and I'll let James see if, see if he's got any like key takeaways as well before we go into it in more detail next week. Queen's Blood is really fun. It is incredibly fun. I wish you had more players to play against. It's like I want to play it more because it's good. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> the the one thing I said, times and then you yeah. exhaust it. Yeah, the one thing I've said, and like uh, some other folks, like uh, obviously, uh, well, I don't know if Paul said anything about that, but I do know that Quentin which uh, they've been playing it for the gamer. But Quentin, when I said, you know, I wish they would make a standalone Queen's Blood game with, like, multiplayer and, like, a proper, like, longer campaign, I would pay money for it. And they were like, yeah, 100%. Because, like, really, I can't stress enough just how fucking fun Queen's Blood is. And, like, I, I've i seen a lot of uh, folks that have, been, that have played Rebirth already basically say the same thing. It is really fun. It is really good. And then, yeah, go ahead and talk about your time with the uh, the Nibelheim demo. Okay, yeah. Um, so I have been uh, I'm I'm a massive fan of Remar- uh, remake part one. Um, it like I, I I was one of the people arguing that it should win uh, Game of the Year on our spoiler cast. Uh, no, our uh, Game of the Year cast back which in like 2020, which it did because I, I, I was really good at arguing. <laughs> I remember it came down to that or uh, Yakuza Seven, like a dragon. That was I basically what came down or... to that year. Oh, okay, but uh, it, it's really it, it's really interesting because the one thing I've been feeling while I've been playing through this demo is like I, I wouldn't fault them at all knowing like the realities of like game design to just iterate on remake where just literally the Nibelheim demo section makes it very apparent how much they are like innovating on their entire formula and the scope has expanded like a lot based off of how like linear and like tightly knit the original um was i have a feeling um and i'm i'm kind of like avoiding reviews and stuff because i really just this is going to be like my game for the month of march i'm just going to just spend all my time on but uh i i have a feeling this will be overall like a less clean package than remake but probably a wildly more ambitious and enjoyable one uh at least for me because yeah. ambition is like a really big thing I value in um, in my games, even if they do come with like a bunch of like a bunch of flaws. It's just like just the scope of like the places you get to explore, um, and then also just like the acknowledgement that the tone of FF Seven like wildly diverts from how it was in Midgar, like in the original game, and then just staying true to that. Because this is a pretty weird game, even from the Nibelheim section. Like it has a lot of fun with itself. Um, just it, sorry, go. I was gonna say no. It it 
it allows itself to be goofy and campy. Uh, and, and so was the original. So it's kind of faithful in that way. This isn't the DC grimdark reimagining. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, yeah, that's and... great, though, to be honest. I'm glad they, did, they didn't take that approach. Uh, because I, I think that's, all, some of the, that, that's some of the bummer things that, like, when Advent Children came out, that's like, they made Cloud way too, like, emo now. Um, back, in the, back in the day when that Cloud's came out. Cloud's great in this game. I'll just, I'll just keep it at that in terms of the nice. sillier moments. He's great. Nice. Yeah, I just bring up Advent Children now because there's like a rerun happening in theaters now. I think <laughs> for mm-hmm. that for that movie. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you, Colin. And also, like, I really appreciate the the developer the de- development team's like approach and comments to it. Like when they when they think about remaking and reexamining what really what really resonated with fans of the original FF Seven, they said, ah, oh, you know, a lot of that. F- uh, a lot of that boils down to like being like almost like a kitchen sink approach of like exploring this world and having a lot of like different things to do in that world. That's just not the standard go here, cutscene, maybe fight, another plot beat, etc., and then moving on. They really, you know, find to preserve that philosophy of like being able to engage in like different activities. You're not doing the same. Not all of them might be like amazing. But it's different to like break up the pace of like what you're doing on a moment to moment game. Like you're always seeing something different, doing something different, and like going like, oh, like you can play this part or something. Yeah. Um it, it's really weird because in a lot of ways this feels like the first modern Final Fantasy game that has truly gotten it. Mm-hmm. Which makes it seem like like I, I'm like throwing shade on all other like big 3d final fantasy games but they've all been kind of like hampered in one way or another on well, like kind of recapturing sorry, that sorry to interrupt this really quick but that's basically what i concluded when i did my forespoken review last year i was sort of like square enix's like the open world for final fantasy 15 wasn't very good it's not very good here and you know kind of like okay well seven seven rebirth is also open world ish like this is are they gonna hit it now and it seems like they did so is that what you're kind of getting yeah, at? Like, the sort of like, structure of game? Yeah. So um it's just really impressive because like I, I've been a fan of like all the mod like recent later um like uh recent modern Final Fantasy games. Um even if like you know they all have their problems and like I am a, a fan of 16. I think that game's really like fun for what it is. But just playing this and just like even this little small vertical slice, I've just been like, wow, they they really did it. I I am completely blown away. I cannot wait to get my copy in. Yeah, I, I do have so much more, both good. I'll, I have a few things that I, I I always want to put on like my critical hat and talk about a few things, even though for this game, I don't have that many. I want to talk more, but I'm just trying to keep it all for next week when you have more people on the cast. Yeah, going put that so you don't forget. <laughs> yeah. But, so, uh, so what do you think about the ending? That's a joke. Uh, There's an ending. That's spoilers. Relax. Even next week, we're going to keep it spoiler free. I wouldn't. Don't even hint. No teasing. Yeah, there is an ending. Yeah, leave it at that. We'll we'll discuss like whether or not we should talk about whether or not we'll discuss knowing the ending of remake. I kind of think we have to like 
if we can't talk, if we can't make the assumption that they know how remake ended, that makes rebirth oh. really hard to talk about. Right. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, a big so spoiler I, I, for remake is on the box art of rebirth. So. Right. Exactly. So you know, just you know, keep that in mind if you're if you're interested in uh, listening to us next weekend, um, uh, talking about the game. Just know that it's going to be open season for at least FF Seven remake spoilers remake and maybe the original game but of course we'll we'll recontextualize that once we have the full cast and come to an agreement and state it very clearly on on the cast itself yeah but yeah no spoilers for rebirth in any sense but yeah hopefully this was a fun enough tease uh but yeah james and i know i've really enjoyed the game i know uh both josh and alex have also really enjoyed their time with it so hopefully we can get all of us uh on board next week to discuss it at length And with that, we'll go into the news section of the podcast with the other major thing from the week, the, the, of course, the surprise Nintendo Direct. Well, you could argue that it was heavily teased by those in the know, but it wasn't officially announced until last week and then held a few days after. And we had, a, like pretty much every other Nintendo Direct, even though this was a partner showcase, we had a handful of things that were relevant to our coverage uh, with a very clear headliner here for us to talk about. Something that maybe we expected was arguably leaked a long time ago, and that is a re-release for an Atlas title featuring a new girl. That is, Shin Megami Tensei Five Vengeance will be launching for PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and PC this summer on June 21st. Can I just say how great it is that we live in an era of Atlas games now where they get announced and they come out a couple months after? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> like, well, I'm, not, I'm not sure... PC. I'm not sure if you if this is the best example of that, considering like SMT five was originally announced in like early 2017. It didn't come out until what? Like no, but that's exactly what I'm saying is we're not getting announced like, hey guys, a re-release is happening in like a year or so from now. Like this is still them saying, hey guys, in three months you get to play SMT five with like a, a like a Good whole new version rate. of it. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll start. Real I'll start. Rate. So I reviewed the original SMT five. I like it a lot. But I, I do think the game has pretty evident strengths and shortcomings, even despite what I, that I like it a lot. And so Atlas re-releases are nothing new, not even close. They've been doing this forever, it feels like. Uh, I even reviewed like Radiant Historia and Strange Journey, both also very good games with re-releases um, with, you know, how do I put this? S- some re-releases are better than others in terms of how they incorporate the new content. And sometimes it feels like it, it doesn't add much or maybe it's just tacked on or whatever. Um, the way that they're approaching the new content here is very interesting in that um, basically what it sounds like is at the beginning of this game, Shimagami Tensei Five Vengeance, you basically get to choose a route, like the original route or the new route. And they gave them names, the Canada Creation... Canon of Creation is the original route, and then the Canon of Vengeance is a new route. And they say that the routes, like, obviously, are going to, there's some similarities in, like, the story elements, but will diverge pretty significantly by the end, is how they put it. But I do think that's, like, an interesting way to frame it versus a lot of the other re releases, uh, Persona or Radiance Historia or what have you, where it's sort of, like, kind of tacked on in the end, like a, like a last chapter or a direct to DVD sequel or something. Um, so I think that's interesting in that it's basically like two separate versions of the game in a sense. I'm excited for it. They make a choice early, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm extremely excited for this. I was actually sort of wondering, like, have I soured on Shin Megami Tensei Five at all? Then I like read up on this and see this trailer. Like, no, I'm pretty excited for this. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still uh, pretty psyched. Like, uh, yeah. after seeing, like, you know, I, I'm, you know, one of the main like things that like I I really like SMT Five, but the the one of the main things that really frustrated me about the game is like. You you can just like miss input like battle commands if you're like making yeah, too fast in the game. Like the performance of that game on Switch is like frustrating. So it's like, hey, this is coming to like every fucking platform. It's like, oh shit, I can't wait to fucking play this on PC and fucking go balls to the wall insane um, with it. So this is this is a a weird thing because, um, like you mentioned, like you know they're doing the the route split at the start and then. I, I believe even the canon of vengeance it'll have like multi, its own set of unique multiple endings uh, right. for that. So, and so how they're doing this is the DLC situation and Shin Megami Tensei Five. It had it received like maybe four to five like expand not expansion DLCs, but they added like a new demon and like a storyline and like the the demi fiend fight. Yeah, uh, there's a handful. So, of them. so so all that DLC, including like the 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 Mitama DLC, is all bundled into this package but there's also a new set of dlc for vengeance alone that adds dagda who we last saw in shin megami tensei 4 apocalypse and a new uh newcomer demon konohana sakuya which most people in the atlas community will uh remember that name from persona 4 because that was yukiko's persona obviously there's a it's always been an existing demon, demon in Japanese, yeah. yeah, in Japanese mythology. So it has its own unique. It's design apparently that's apparently the goddess of Mount Fuji, which is yeah. sort of like this wasn't in the, the series before. Now, okay, well, I mean it was Persona, but not SMT. But yeah, so there's two oh, new yeah. DLCs. They're day one DLCs, which is just kind of like Atlas's Atlas day DLC. One DLC on like, a remake is kind of yeah. yeah. It, it it's at least this is like the lowest possible. Uh, gotta give it to them that i could possibly do is that it's at least only a 60 dollars game and not a 70 dollars game because i could have seen that happen but it's not have, have they confirmed how much this is in it's the west 60. though yeah it's 60 okay because i haven't seen western pre-orders go up because i've been wondering it's like yeah. are you guys gonna try to sell this for 70 yeah, because no. for sort of three reload was 70 yeah this so. is 60 um, okay, so but sixty so with new, day one DLC. So yeah. so the, the, so this is just like the, one of the new elements in Vengeance uh, is like there's this new demon faction or new female de- female demons called the Kaditsu. They're like a, a group of female demons. One of them is Lilith. There's three others that were named. They are going to be like a new important characters, and then you also have a new, new character girl. that joins you, a new female character that joins you named Yoko Hiromine. And it's interesting because based on the shots, like she actually like travels around the Naobino and fights to with some you. extent and fights with you. And like we even saw like guest human characters in battle, which we haven't seen in a while for an SMT in mainline SMT. Like you had to have it on the fringes like an SMT four, but not like exactly like integrated into your party as guest characters with their own like life bars and so on. Um and then they also mentioned like part of the new content and vengeance is going to be a new dot which is like the new open zone like well each each of the zones that you explore in smt5 are called dot and a new dungeon singular dungeon which uh you know adds 100 oh, yeah. more to the, the dungeon one dungeon in <laughs> smt5 you know uh, and so, so yeah. smt5 uh um one thing, there's a couple of things that I hope they like address in terms of like this could be tuned up a bit. Uh, I hope the dungeon is like got some modest dungeon like design and puzzle to it. 
Uh, I mean, that's really where the series came from. And I know a handful of people are really disappointed in 5 because it's not a dungeon crawler. I mean, clearly not. And I personally didn't mind, like, the Demon King Castle dungeon. That's the one with, like, the had some air gusts and things like that. You know, I felt that was just, like, light enough where it wasn't overbearing. But, you know, puzzly enough that it was but still remember, engaging. Re- remember that, 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 that puzzle was nerfed in a patch. Yes, well. I, I actually, actually I forgot about that. It was nerfed. Yeah. So I, I never thought that was like Nocturne has way more introduct, way more difficult puzzles than that. But then, like for example, the final dungeon in the game, or like the penultimate dungeon dungeon in the game, is just like a bunch of white corridors with uh, a friend of mine actually put it as with a bunch of uh, linebacker Madas. Those look, that Mata demon just like standing in the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's uh-huh. like yeah. that dungeon is kind of honestly not very good at all. Um, so one, I, if they made some tweaks to that, I'd be fine with it. And I kind of hope the new dungeon is maybe more interesting or more you know involved. But uh, I imagine the the new dungeon, like this is just my uh, my assumption, is that is going to be like an actual final dungeon to the game for the vengeance yeah. route. Unlike yeah, that's, that's the original, that. which was a hallway, <laughs> pretty much. with two bosses. Yep, but it did have like the best grinding spot in the in the game as well. But um, um I'm uh, I'm honestly just more excited for the new dot. Um, mm-hmm. like uh, I, I, the a lot of people say that like, oh, there's just like no dungeoning at all, and I totally get like no actual like real quote unquote dungeons. But I've always considered that the like the dots are just basically like they are more or less dungeons. Like nah, they are really a little, they're, 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 they're too open, open exploration for me to be like, when I think of dungeons, I think of like, I think of strange journey to be No, honest. but that's the thing. I'm not viewing them as like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly like, Oh, it needs to be a dungeon because it's called a dungeon. It's just like, it is a, like those spaces themselves are like places to solve puzzles and like explore. And like it, it feels like more active like gameplay than a typical like Shin Megami Tensei would have you just like travel from place to place. Kind of how Ford did it, mm-hmm. where it turned like parts of Tokyo into their own kind of dungeons, even though they're like outside yeah. and like have larger spaces. Mm-hmm. So I'm just hoping that there's some cool visual variety going on in this new dot and they kind of like make it a bit trickier to navigate. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I, I was actually hoping, um, you remember the last dot in SMT five where it had like, it, it was kind of on the, on, on the order of like, cause there's like certain things you have to do around the map to like proceed forward. There's like bosses that you have to like take around yeah. the map, but it, it did it in a nonlinear fashion. It was up to you to decide what, what order you wanted to do it in. And I thought that was like a really cool, like, yeah, gimmick to that dot i actually I? said that i actually said as much in my review i basically said um first of all two things i want to mention one in my review the very first thing i said like literally my the first line of my original review was atlas has never made a game like shin megami tensei 5 and i meant that literally in that like this is like the only open worldish game that atlas has ever made like as far as i can remember they've done a lot of like jrpg-ish persona-ish dungeon crawler-ish you know games or you can go other other genres entirely entirely like trauma series, but um, remember that series. Anyways, yeah. uh, so this was kind of like their first go around at this, this sort of structure of game, and I think it was inevitably going to be a little bit uh, some growing pains in that regard. But 
in my review, I actually said like by the time I got to the third zone in SMT5, I was uh, the novelty had wore off a little bit because it's the first three zones in that game are all sort of similar. But just like Josh said, that last zone actually changes things up and that it's more non-linear. There's that big like sky blue block puzzle place and it's it changed things up just enough to be like to get, kind of grab my interest again in that last zone. Yeah, so, it, I, I think I think for everyone who went through that, it's like, man, I wish I kind of wish this game had like more of this mm-hmm. <laughs> type of stuff, you know. Um, and then you know they they are uh, have, uh, introducing some quality of life improvements. This vengeance, like so some of it is like speeding up skill cutscenes, um, so you don't have to see Aramasa for like the fiftieth time. You can skip it if you want. Um, you can turn uh, miracle functions on and off. Um, you can reallocate Nahobino stats. And the big one for, for that's contentious is the able to save the game anywhere. Which is, Why that's contentious? Well, it's um, kind of contentious in the form of Josh and I complaining about skill allocation. Like, no, stop okay. giving us conveniences. Yeah, it's also like because some people want that tension of like, oh shit, I'm like in a bad spot, and I, how can I make it to the next save point? To, you know, to kind of replenish what I need to do. Like, it, it gave it gave some stakes instead of just like, hey, there's a tough fight coming. Um, I'll save here and then. Um, so I mean, uh, I can I can see that. Yeah, so I, I, that's understandable. I wonder if Nahobino falling in battle is still a game over though. I, think I don't it think is. they it has that. to be. Yeah, it has to be. That, that's, like if, if P3 reload, if if it's still that, then I, I think it just has to be still. That that. That, li- that literally got coined, at least in my circles, getting SMT'd. So like, if SMT <laughs> stops doing that, we have to change the nickname for that. Um, philosophy. They said there'll be like at least over forty new demons. One of yeah. them is the the Nahobino from what was it Nahohino uh, Nahobiho. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Jack Naho. Frost Nahobino. I'm I'm so happy they're still doing that, making a Jack Frost based off of the protagonist. I I yeah. want them to never stop. Hell, I want them to start doing it in Persona. Because yeah. it's always great to have new yeah. Jack Frosts. <laughs> yep. it's, a, it's a pretty dumb, fun gimmick. Um, they're, they're also they're kind of going a little um, back to the vault with some of these uh, reintroducing some of the demons. Like the, the Cherub is coming back, but it's like the Devil Summoner design of Cherub. Yeah, um, I actually didn't recognize it when I saw it at first. I looked it up. I'm like, oh, I recognize the other version of Cherub, but not this version. Mm-hmm. They also have, like, uh, interestingly, like some Soul Hackers... Um, Inclusions like Turbo Grandma, who we lost on um, Soul Hackers too. Yeah, is also coming here. It is great. Soul so Hackers, then, the original, has a bunch of demons that are only in that game. Like, yes, it's got a pretty yeah. unique uh, demon roster. I'm pretty excited to see who else they've like brought along for this re-release. Like I have to imagine some of the like like Mad Gasser is coming here because they already had the model for Soul Hackers too. So I assume they're taking some from. So hackers too, like Turbo Grandma. I assume, like, oh, one of them might be Mad Gasser, which is cool because Mad Gasser is a great design. There's one other thing that I hope they tweak in this a little bit. This is it feels kind of small, but I actually think it's it would be significant. I realized this about like halfway through my playthrough of the original. You can buy those items that basically block an element for one turn. Oh yeah, from your yeah. party. And the thing is, is almost every boss in that game does a basically I'm powering up for the next attack sort of turn. And that's basically just a clue to like use one of those items. 
So right. it, it it almost felt cheap. Like, oh, I'll just buy one of these items to block the attack, and then I, it basically nulls their attack and gives me a free turns or whatever. Um, and I felt like those items that you could buy are way too cheap for how useful they are, and you can use them in practically every boss fight. Like, I think they just need to make these either rarer, more limited, or more expensive. Because otherwise, they're just kind of overpowered. Yeah, That's, I mean, no, they're, they're, I had forgotten about those, but yeah. then I remember I was struggling on a boss. You're like, hey, just get these items and just use them. I'm like, oh. And then, yeah, they kind of trivialize a lot of the fights. Yeah, so hopefully they introduce some rebalancing, like what they did from like Nocturne to Nocturne Maniacs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that'll come out this summer. And yeah, not 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 just Switch, so on all platforms, so it'll run at a good frame rate, at a good resolution. And I'm real bright in this game now. Like, what are the new footage is like the whole. You know, real grinding. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> I um, I because I have like brain worms. I'm very excited to see how that version runs on Switch and see if they've optimized it at all. Okay, so th- here's the here's the, the this 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 package might feel like a fucking ripoff to Switch owners, and I I, I get yeah. it because because this game like is coming out. You see, you pay full price again. There's no save data transfer for it. The only thing you can do to like transfer over this, you can you can get like three demons from your demon compendium over from the base game to this game. And that's it. Well that was the same with like Persona 5 Royal, right? You, yeah. You couldn't yeah. transfer anything from five to five royal. I mean not but, saying but, that's but, not saying that's how yeah. it should be, it's just that's Yeah, yeah. I mean is. they've done this before, but it, it it does feel like especially bad when like um but I, I, I don't know how canon create if kind of creation is like one to one. But like if you wanted to like Continue your save file for some. There's like, there's like no discount offer for people who already. There's like who already bought it to the base game. Well, so okay, so sorry. Um, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, they've been kind of weird about like how like if there is any kind of discount on offer because they specifically mentioned how um like. D- Digital Switch pre-orders are going to be announced at a later date, which is not a hard core defined like, yeah, guys, there's going to be a discount. But like, that's so vague in what they're doing that I'm inclined to believe that there will be some kind of like maybe discount. And I really hope there is. I don't Um, know. We'll see. They're they're talking about Atlas here too. (laughs) No, I I know. I'm not optimistic. Yeah, But this is like kind of a... I, I don't know. It's uh, I, I don't want to say it's a, a unique situation, but with like SMT five being so fresh, it I would hope that they would at least let you buy this for like I don't know maybe like forty bucks or something digitally. Um, I, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. But I feel like if there was no chance that there would be some kind of discount, uh, they would have just said it outright. Um, so I guess in the next like month or two, we'll probably figure out if right. like you try to get this on the eShop, if you can just get a discounted version of it. I, I really hope so. It would be, yeah, great. be great. I, I will say, I will say though, that based off of what's being added to this, it's almost like an SMT4 apocalypse situation with the new route, at least going off of what they're saying. Oh yeah. It, I, I've seen definitely people say seems like, like it almost feels like it's the original game and sort of like a sequel all in one. I know it's not really a sequel, but like, I mean, it seems like they're pretty much adding like a second version of the story on. Yeah, yeah. Cause they, they've outright said, Oh yeah, it's just yeah. as long as the original like yeah. campaign. And there's now, like, there's like an entirely new area and like, 
a yeah. bunch of changes. So it's like, okay, um, yeah. Now I'm I'm going to be the one reviewing this when it comes out, and there's a part of me it's like, okay, when I get this review code, should I like do the original version first to see if it's any like different, and then do the new route, or do I start with the new route? I don't know. Replay the original version now, and then do the new route. <laughs> well, I kind of want to. Re- I want to see like. Do, oh, I'm curious about like is the canon of creation pretty much untouched? I mean, besides like performance updates, or uh, they said they they said 160 hours for for both. Well, yeah, they like, said it was know. like 80 hours per route, which is yeah. that feels long because the original game is not that long. Even if I you, don't like, think it is. Even if well, you like, do think... everything, it's not. <laughs> I guess if yeah. they mean if you do all of the endings in the route, yeah, maybe. And also, also you have to understand, Adam. It's uh, you're kind of it's, it's kind of a similar situation with me where it's like. I'll play a game and people say, oh, yeah, it take, took me this long to play. And it's like, how? How? <laughs> so. Meanwhile, I'm the opposite. I always take longer. Because <laughs> if I remember correctly, Shimagami Tensei 5, there's four zones. And they're like, if you explore the zones pretty thoroughly, it's like 10 to, at best, 15 hours each. And even at 15 hours each, it's like, okay, that's 60, 80. I don't know. It's a lot. Okay, so here's what you do. You speed run Canada Creation, make it a 20-hour playthrough, then go <laughs> Vengeance. So according to how long to beat, uh, to do a completionist playthrough of SMT5 takes about 96 and a half hours. Yeah, so I'm saying it takes like... 80 hours per route if you're doing like completionists for both. That makes sense. I guess if you're not skipping cutscenes, you can get through that game really fast. Oh yeah, I, beat it. I probably beat that game like 15 times. Oh yeah, I'm at like eight or nine stuff. times, because uh, uh, I was also I was reviewing it for uh, Nintendo Insider, um, our, our good friend uh, Alex Seedhouse, um, and uh, back then no one had any idea how to get that true ending, you know, quote unquote true, um, and so I remember like before launch, I was like trying to talk to Adam and just be like, do you do you have any idea how like what you have to do? Well, to get this true ending. I, the thing is, is like, I think at one point we both got it, but we weren't sure like, all right, what actually tripped that? And turns out well, it's actually kind of simple. It's just if you beat Shiva or not. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's because I just didn't want to do that because yeah. I don't like fighting super bosses uh, in RPGs, uh, you know, my own problems. But like, so I, I just I just didn't want to do that because it, it was also really hard. So yeah, I did everything else in that game but that um that uh you know but shiva and i kept going through playthroughs being like okay maybe this choice is a little different and this one and then by playthrough eight i was like okay fine i'll i'll do shiva and that's what triggered it for me after doing everything else so uh i yeah yeah, that, that, that was like one of the really weird like true ending conditions because I don't think that's ever been like uh, true for SFT game where you have to it was mandatory to beat a super boss to a super a boss ending. that is harder than the final boss yeah. hidden behind it. Yeah. yeah, that was weird. Like, I really hope the way they do uh, roots in um, this new one is like completely different. And also, I would be okay if they kind of took that requirement out of the true ending of a uh, canon of creation. Mm-hmm. So people can have an actually challenging final boss or just make the final boss harder yeah. of that route. Here's what like, they'll do. They're like, Great, we heard your feedback and this time we're making it two Shivas. Can you at least have Shiva show up next to the final boss? <laughs> <laughs> 
So one thing yeah, that I just, people... just steps out of the final boss's shadow, it's like, ah, it's me again. It's like, oh, <laughs> it was me, Austin. <laughs> so one thing that people do criticize that? SMT5 about a lot is its story, which is fair. But I also think, like, a lot of SMT games, especially like Nocturne, the, the actual plot really isn't the strong suit. Nocturne has better vibes, maybe, or has certain vibes. And even like the original version of Nocturne, like its endings are basically like three different flavors of the same. It wasn't until the version we got that added like the true demon ending, which people is the one that people always go for. But I am curious, like uh, like uh, Colin said, I wonder how they're gonna if they're gonna do any tweaking to like the routing or the endings of the original. I'm not I'm not sure because it's I said I said as much as my review. It's just sort of there. I don't weigh it heavily. That's not really the main reason I come to these games, but I'm curious to see if they'll touch it at all. I, uh, but that does like remind me, like all the story stuff they're showing off in this new route seems like a direct response to a lot of the feedback they got. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks really interesting. Uh, granted, we don't know too much about it for now, but there is like, again, it's in the title vengeance, the whole, like, gimmick is um and according to like some interviews as well that they're trying to like literally talk about vengeance from like the uh, like oppressed groups which it's atlas they could go anyway with that but at least they're kind of playing with more ideas than the original game and if like for some reason let's say like like adam for example let's say you play through the vengeance story and you just hate it um and you're like in an other like Atlas re-release situation, they might have just kind of painted over the original, but we have both versions of the game. Yeah. Like, which is something I'm really happy about. Like yeah. if even if I don't like like I think um I like the story of SMT5, but I don't love it. There's definitely plenty of things they could have like improved on. Um, but I wouldn't want them to like get rid of that original campaign. It's true. Yeah. So it's cool that we just okay. have both of them here. One with this very like weird kind of like vibe where no one talks to each other. And that kind of like awkwardness is like for me, a bit of a feature. And then this very like seemingly character centric new story where all of the characters are acting like actual people and yeah. seem really mad just at everything. And I'm like, this conflict seems really neat. I'm sort of in an interesting place to review this. Cause I also reviewed Radiant Historia, I reviewed Strange Journey, and also like Devil Survivor 2, um, the 3DS re-release of that. And all those games kind of have like tacked on new endings. <laughs> um, I remember like Devil Survivor 2, kind of like what you mentioned or like alluded to just now. I, I like that game, but it sort of feels weird because you get like the original ending and then it's just like, but wait, there's more. Um, and it like, like this is the actual ending, and it's, I don't know, the way it escalates from, like, the original ending to the new ending kind of feels false, because in a way it sort of is. Um, you mean the new campaign with yeah. Record Breaker? Yeah. Yeah, which is weird. Like, I, I just basically consider that its own separate thing, because right. for it to work, it has to make up a new ending anyway. Like, right. the end, yeah, um, because it's kind of based off of the Daichi ending, but mm -hmm. one of the things about that ending is that um, Alcor uh, is that the anime name? I totally forget. Um, but like the you know yeah. the red stripy guy, yeah. he has well, 
he can't basically be around in that record breaker ending, but they just made a new ending where he like everything was happy. And then he also was like around. Yeah. Um, so I basically just don't like, I, I consider that a fun little side thing. An excuse to see more Yamato. Cause that's my favorite chaos guy. Yeah. Anyways, I'm interested. I'm excited. Put so many hours into this. Probably. I can't wait. I can't wait to replay SMT five like five more times. <laughs> Second thing that we have listed from the Nintendo Direct is another game that's going to be taking up time in the next month. They announced a demo available for the upcoming Unicorn Overlord. This is the strategy RPG being made by Vanillaware, also being published by Atlas, uh, and coming out on March 8th, but the demo is available now, and I know at least Cullen's been playing the demo. I think Josh either was or was interested in it. It's basically a five-hour preview that translates directly into the main game. It's basically a five-hour head start, is my understanding. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's it's sort of weird. So, one, I'm going to get into this more later, but I'm really frustrated how they, like, announced this uh, demo, Um, but that's very specific to me and me alone. But um, but the the way this de- demo is like it it's basically the 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 whole chapter one of the game, but there's a time gate, so it, it's two conditions on how you end this demo. Uh, one is like you, the the timer runs out. Basically, you have like a I believe a five hour timer, but it does not tick when you're in menus. It only takes when you're like going around the map. Um, so that makes it feel longer than you know what the timer indicates. Uh, two. Uh, there's a certain character that uh, gets uh, kidnapped at the beginning of chapter one, and once you rescue this character at the end, that also triggers the ending of the demo as well. So there's a lot of like side content that you can do before you go tackle this main objective uh, in the demo, and that and that's where you kind of rack up those hours because there's so many, there's already right right from the get go so many places to explore and like recruit people um, before it's you go tackle expensive. this objective. Yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm taking my time. I'm ve- very glad to know because I was a bit worried if like you were on a kind of behind the scenes timer to save that character. Uh, but knowing that's just the end of chapter one means I'm definitely going to avoid that as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're not. Yeah, you're, you're not like peer pressured into like, hey, you have to go save this imme- uh, person immediately. It's like, no, you can go take your sweet time. Um, so before we go into the demo, I just want to say that like. The way this demo was rolled out was kind of weird because they announced it at that Nintendo Direct Partner Showcase and that the way Atlas was marketing it um, made it seem like this was an exclusive demo for the Switch for like the first eight hours. So like I was the, so I was under the impression it's like, oh, it's an exclusive demo. This is not the first time we've seen this, you know? So it's like, oh, okay. And, and they even indicated like in the trailer, only the Switch logo, even in the description and the, and the YouTube name, only the switch even in the youtube description it was only the switch at the time and i was writing this article it wasn't until like what 8 p.m that night adam where they like updated it and notified us that like hey it's also coming on out on playstation xbox on february 23rd to the extent that like they even updated the youtube description that i took wholesale for the feature it's like oh now they just added that little tidbit in it and it was like very it's very apparent that this was a timed exclusive demo announcement, which is kind of frustrating. I was like, okay, well, great. Awesome. 
Like it, um, it was very deliberate that like, okay, they're not, we're going to announce the switch demo now. And then we're going to announce the uh, other versions later. And they're coming out in a couple of days, which they're out now, but yeah. still it's very frustrating when we're trying to be like accurate and correct. When we're like getting the information staggered like that. Yeah, I totally understand mm-hmm. the annoyance for sure. Yeah. Yeah, when you think about like, oh, the remember the uh, Persona Five Tacto Persona Three Reloads only for Xbox, and then two days later, it's also coming to all other platforms. Like, cool. Or like the Persona Five port, they announced that. Oh god, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they announced that like Xbox first, and then PlayStation, PC, and then Switch, like at three different times, and it's just kind of like, come on. <laughs> so anyway, what, uh, what, co- Adam, yeah. what's a, sorry, I want to indulge yeah. in that a tiny bit more. Yeah. Like, like a Dragon Eight is going to come out on platforms, and then when it was announced, it was Infinite Wealth. That's only going to be on Xbox. Yeah. For like- hours <laughs> like we already announced this for all the platforms stop pretending yeah, okay. anyway, sorry so colin uh you know i i want to hear fit from your perspective because uh, on what you thought about unicorn overlord demo because it's like there's a game there's a game that like you didn't know what you're getting into like nope. you know from, from going into it so i'm i'm curious to see where you're coming uh from uh, on this one so uh, I have actively been avoiding every single thing about this game because I, I figured I'd hyper obsess over all these kind of games. I kind of want to just be surprised about what yeah. this what this is. And uh, also because um, we were talking about this in the last like couple months um, in our staff channel. Basically, it's like a lot of people are not going to probably understand what they're getting into with this game. And I was like, well, I want to be one of those people. Yeah. So I just went okay. completely uh, blind on it. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I definitely feel like there is a, uh, set of people who will go to like kill you if you try to imply this is similar to Fire Emblem in it's any totally way. It's totally fair to like make those comparisons not to your frame of reference, you know? Yeah. That's totally fine. But, um, and I would not, I, I don't want to imply that this is like a Fire Emblem ripoff, obviously, but it definitely seems like there's a bit of a Fire Emblem DNA in, in here with uh, a bit of, from at least from what I understand, um, Ogre ogre Battle, right? Right. Uh, like Ogre Battle as kind of its core way of interacting with the world. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I'm kind of whatever on the story so far. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah. The, the story premise is very bog standard. At the very beginning, you know, you're like, you, you, you have this protagonist named Elaine, he's very young, and then the, it's like, a, it's in the middle of like a insurrection where, you know, your mom's the queen, she's the, uh, the there's a traitor that tried to usurp the throne, so you gotta get uh, shuffled away by one of your loyal servants uh, for the next ten years while the fate of your mom is kind of unclear, but there's a new evil empire that has uh, been, you know, constructed in the meantime in that decade. And so now and casting and, magic, evil person spells that make people evil. Mm-hmm. And I rolled my eyes to the back <laughs> of my fucking skull and was like, oh, Kiseki curse. We're back, baby. Uh, yeah. One of the very, very, very early opening cutscene things is like as part of the tutorial in this game is like to understand the game systems like that evil empire is now like kind of making its way toward your island where it's like obviously trying to scope out things, trying to find like this prince that has been you know, shuffled away, so to make sure that, like, there's no threat to the throne whatsoever, no no sort of, like, revolt that will happen. So one of the people, uh, a part of that uh, scouting group is, like, what used to be one of your, like, loyal retainers to your mom, the queen. Um, and then, like, obviously, once you, like, uh, beat him, it's like, oh, you know, what happened to you? What made you so like this? And then you have this uh, Ring of the Unicorn 
on you that like shines you know bright aura it's all of a sudden it's like oh my mind's so clear like i've been under this spell for like 10 years you know and it's like i feel so bad and like and that person like joins you yeah, he's like and i so did on. so many terrible things and i don't remember any of them and i'm like okay <laughs> so it's a very oh. yeah and, and then right and then right after that one trope happens another trope happens where like one of your people gets kidnapped and you have to go rescue you know that person as well so like, okay so it's, it's all like Look, all I, all I need to all I need to know about the narrative is if is if that ring had the power to undo the evil mind control, why did she give it to the kid instead of just hanging on to it for that battle? Uh, well, the people in the battle, I don't think were mind controlled. I, I see. The, so, here's the thing: yeah. when you introduce a plot point like that, you then immediately assume, okay, so all the bad guys are going to just be like mind controlled evil. But that's not true. So it makes me wonder why they bothered to begin with. If only some people are mind-controlled bad guys, and then you have some side stories where you just have, like... It's it, honestly, typically, it's like, you, you beat them and they go, well, you know, uh, my family was poor and my sister got sick. Uh, you know, general, like, understandings of why uh, abuse of power kind of fucks over people at the bottom, and that's why they commit like the crimes they are just to get by and it's like okay that's interesting but, but again why are we doing kiseki curse magic for only some people yeah so like there are definitely like you know that i right now that i see it like the, the plot premise is just like an excuse for the game to like happen yes right now <laughs> which and, and very that, much in the fire emblem lineage in that way <laughs> yeah so the, but the, this game plays very differently from, like, I'm sure what Fire Emblem people are expecting. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, a bit of, uh, bit of RTS in here, uh, but not enough RTS where I don't like it. So yeah. that's very helpful, because I'm not an RTS guy. Yeah. Um, but this does, like, the way battles play out, where you essentially, like, in, in a Fire Emblem-like game, you have your two units, and then I'll kind of, like, roll some dice... And then what what you've kind of like decked out your guys with will decide how the battle goes out. Uh, this basically lets you take a screwdriver in and like open it up and then like adjust a lot of different things to make battles play out more in your favor. Because it's not like one character versus one character. You set up a squad of like multiple units and then you can set a gambit system like uh, mechanic on all of their AI to have like their actives and their passives like go off at specific times and like play out like if my if one of your characters has a like like health less than a certain amount then you can have one character cast a spell on them but you can set that in a list of priorities as well it's just it's really interesting hmm. and as a game I'm like loving it so much so far that I really don't care if the story ends up being whatever <laughs> yeah yeah i i think i'm, I'm sorry to follow that line too like i hopefully I, for me i'm like hopefully the story gets better but i just find like like cool interesting fun characters like join me and like the, the the game itself is like it's very very solid like to me it's like a great like modern interpretation of the ogre battle formula so for, for people who want kind of like a more detailed view of her like for example one of the, the very early stages in the game still tutorial over like you have to go uh, defeat the enemy commander to beat this stage. So you start at like the northeast, and you have to travel southwest to, towards this base. You can deploy troops that you already configured 
from like this home base, starting base, and like it'll cost them like one valor point to deploy, and then um, you can uh, use like a like an in-game cursor to mouse over them and uh, direct them. Hey, move here, go to this uh, incoming enemy that we're about to uh, run into on the way to this enemy commander. So as Colin was saying, depending on like the the unit formation and what what kind of uh, characters um, f- fill in the squad, they'll have like inherent advantages and disadvantages uh, depending on like what sort of squ- enemy squad they're facing up against. And yeah, and you get and it's not like you're, you're informed uh, ahead of time like how much health they're gonna lose and how much health you'll lose. So when they clash into each other and you see that battle happen, you can you can fast forward it and eventually skip it if you want. Um, but whoever takes more damage in that confrontation is pushed back and is in, uh, put into this waiting state. So you can attack them again and then you'll have initiative uh, for, uh, through a first strike, uh, which will ostensibly pretty much kill them because you're, they, they can't trigger uh, active or passive points, which kind of determines your actions in battle. Um, Josh, and- do you want to know something I found out on accident about that? What's up? You can push enemies into allies and like immediately start a battle. Oh, that's funny! I'd like you to ping pong them. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's amazing. That's and, great. And um, uh, t- t- I was I was like I want to let you finish, but another neat yeah. thing is like let's say like an enemy runs into one of your guys who's near a couple other like squads. You can cycle through everyone in that radius and decide who you want to take the fight. Like oh, take yeah, yeah, that yeah. hit. Yes. Yeah. Good point. So, so let's say like. Oh no, they're attacking someone that like they, they have way the advantage they might like get to the very low health or kill them. It's like, oh wait, I have another squad here that's like near them that like you can swap to and they'll attack them instead. So and they'll have better odds against this incoming attack and come out victorious or at least advantageous uh out of that encounter, which is really nice. It introduces, you know, positioning your allies uh to, to help one another. So you're marching um your your troops into like these uh other bases on the way to this enemy commander and you can uh once you clear out that uh, all the enemies nearby you can go into like this town and garrison and gain more valor points to deploy more squads um that you haven't deployed yet because you didn't have enough valor points at your starting base to do it now from here on uh in this specific tutorial fight you can go bum rush to the enemy commander and finish the mission or you can go take like a another side path to some of your troops and go liberate more bases uh, to gain more valor points because you can use valor points to uh, activate like leader uh, leader unique skills. So like each platoon has a leader, and depending on like their class, they'll have unique uh, valor actions. So one can like do a heal, one can like steal if they're like if like a thief class is the leader, they can go steal gold from uh, an enemy. Some leaders, if they're a certain class, can have better movement options on the field. Right, right. Um, so you can go that uh, that route instead. the 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 one thing you have to keep in mind is that uh, a unit cannot uh, infinitely keep on attacking because they have stamina points above them. Uh, so, like, say a unit has a squad has like three stamina points uh, left, they can only uh, attack three more times before they're they're forced to uh, rest. Uh, because if you're if you're if you completely deplete your stamina, you can no longer move or take an action. So they you need to you need to make sure that they don't completely deplete their stamina, and uh, you have to either let them rest, uh, so like retreat back somewhere and get and and 
get some space from the enemy because during this rest period, uh, they're super vulnerable to enemy attacks. Um, so you have to keep that in mind. Another thing that's pushing you forward that you can't turtle indefinitely in battle is there's a time limit uh, in battles. And this time limit isn't like super strict. In expert mode, it, it is kind of like kind of demanding. But this time limit is making sure that you cannot just like farm off like infinitely off of reinforcements. You're constantly being uh, encouraged to be aggressive towards the enemy, making like a calculated tactical march to your uh, to getting the objective done in, in a timely manner. So it's it's not like the the time limit is there to like kind of um, you know make you freak out. It's like oh no, it's super 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 strict. It's like no, you just have to keep on moving forward at a steady pace. Uh, to do so, so you have you kind of have this tug of war mechanic between like magic that time limit and your units stamina points and making sure that you have like um um you're being you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you won't get like surrounded or having a unit like be um totally like overwhelmed by like incoming uh, squads in front of them and they're left on a, like solo and no one's nearby um and and of course um. As you play on through the demo, you'll be able to get more options of different characters, different classes, and as you level them up, like Cullen mentioned, you have like this gambit system where you can kind of program if-then statements to certain character, uh, like each individual character, like a, like a a super super simple basic practice um, that people will want to probably do is setting um, multiple passive skills. Like the same passive skill, but different condition requirements. So, for example, like your um, um, hero character Elaine, he, like he has this really, really good um, skill called Luminous Cover, and you can make it. You can manipulate that in like different slots, but with different conditions. So, like you can like you can uh, trigger it if like uh, an infantry is attacked by an archer. Says that that's your um, trigger condition to do that, and then you can trigger and then. You can set another different um, condition. So do luminous cover again, and say like this infantry is attacked by a caster, and then you draw trigger that. So you have like you can finally control um, specific actions, but different conditions to ensure that you're always consuming a passive point because you want to make sure you're trying to get the most out of like the resources that you have in battle. It doesn't have to be this finely tuned, but it's something that you keep in mind and make sure that like. Hey, I'm I'm ensuring that I'm expending the resources because these replenish every single time I get into a combat encounter. So I might as well try to get the most mileage out of them as I can, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. There's just like there's so much like so many systems and mechanics to this game. I'm I'm just kind of like really impressed and excited mm-hmm. at just like how much there is to tinker with. Yeah, it is. It is definitely brain brainworm central for uh. For for tactical players who have been kind of itching for like who like who like messing with combat uh, combat systems that have like a gambit system, it's not like you're not actively controlling characters mid battle, but you're planning out their moves in advance before the fight even begins. Um, yeah, and yeah. Um, it's it's really neat um, because to go back to what I like mentioned earlier, there really is nothing like this currently on the market. Like, mm-hmm. even if this is based off of a lot of, like, older SRPGs, yeah, nothing I've played in the last couple years, uh, like, does SRPGs like this, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, cool. I'm, I'm struggling because I don't want to play too much. Right. 
Um, because I will be reviewing it for us, uh, and I do not currently have the game yet. And it would be suck to like blast through the first like five hours and then just be stuck waiting because I can already tell this. I'm just going to sink a bunch of time into this one. Yeah, I hear you. That's a, that, that's a, like the, the demo is like a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's oh, timing yeah. Because Rebirth is like there, like in the way as well before its official release. too. <laughs> so and uh, for anyone maybe worried about this, like five hour time limit, uh, they are pretty lenient on it. Like the prologue is not timed. And then whenever you're in a menu, it's also not timed. Mm -hmm. So it actually is like a decent chunk of game you get access to with this demo. And and to to be clear for people who like who are like maybe kind of kind of hesitant on this because of the real time nature of it, uh, you can actually pause at any time in the middle of battle to like kind of map out like where you want things to move. You can always pause; it'll freeze everything. It's sort of like that FF7 uh, remake, like like classic system where you can just like pause everything to like kind of map out options actions in advance, so you're not like always having to be like thinking on the fly and like you know uh, making like uh, last minute like you know moves to, to on an ongoing uh, battle. It's like no, you can you can pause at any time and mm-hmm. um, instruct units to do whatever you want to to make sure that you know you're you're not feeling too pressured. I uh I I cannot wait to play more of this. Uh it actually has me in a mood to play like other SRPGs on my backlog. Uh just so I can like push this off as much as I can and just get the full version. Uh like I'm in, uh, reinstalling uh Tactics Ogre Reborn right now. Uh oh, I actually wow. started Sacred Stones. <laughs> nice. Um, which is is very neat. Uh, I I typically do not like older Fire Emblem games. I'm a, I'm a dirty casual who started with Awakening. Yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, and I also have uh, Path of Radiance lined up that oh, okay. uh, I'm interested in trying because I think Ike is very cool. But <laughs> he fights for his friends. I hear he does. Oh. Uh, and apparently he has a boyfriend. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Thorin is he also um, <laughs> But like, yeah, no, I'm. I've been waiting for SRPGs to kind of, uh, I guess, activate my brain worms in a while because unfortunately Engage did nothing for me and that remake of uh, Front Mission 2 was embarrassing and still has not been fixed. I, uh, man, I lament that because I really like Front Mission, but just seeing those, the state of those remakes, man, I'm just like, it makes you cry a little inside. I haven't checked up on the updates recently, but I'm pretty sure they have not fixed the localization, which looks blatantly like AI translated. Hey, Colin, you know, you know, a tactical RPG series, you should give another shot. I feel like you've done this bit with me before, but for the sake of the podcast, I'll bite. What, James? <laughs> you should play uh, Utsuwara no Mono. Mask oh, no, I'm not doing that. No, no, I'm not doing that. I've tried it twice. <laughs> I don't like those games. Damn. Maybe one day. Maybe I'll I'll watch the uh, anime of the first game, which again I just don't like straight up. Yeah, the first game is like I remember after I finished uh, Prelude, my my takeaway was this is not enough like a good enough uh, tactical RPG for me to recommend people actually play it instead of just watching the anime adaptation. It's Here's just going to happen. Yeah. Vanillaware will make a better Utawade Rumono, and then you'll get in the mood. Oh, oh, oh yeah. There you go. James, here's here's how I'll bite a little bit though. How are the games on Steam Deck? They're they're perfect. They're perfect. Because the main problems with <laughs> the flawless. PC ports. 
the main problems with the PC ports was the fact that they were locked at 720p. That doesn't matter on Steam Deck because you're not going to run them at anything other than 720p. So, did uh, Deception and Truth come to Switch? No. Oh, all right. Well, that answers that. And those games have been delisted from PlayStation, right? Or yes, did... yes, yeah. Because uh, Prelude, I believe, is still that's on PlayStation. Yeah, I, I believe Prelude is still on PlayStation, but uh, Mask Inception, Mask of Truth are not. Uh, so basically, if you want to get into the series nowadays, your only option is either buying physical copies of uh, Mask Inception, Mask of Truth, or just playing them on PC. So, Wait, did Prelude get delisted from Switch? It was never on Switch. I could have sworn it came to Switch at some point, but I think you're, you're, you're probably yeah, you're probably confused because uh, Vita. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, I remember now. Oh, they're, look, they're perfect on Steam Deck. They're a perfect airplane game because, you know, if you have a lengthy flight and you want to go to sleep and you can't sleep, you can just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although I definitely would have to, like, get, <laughs> the, <laughs> get the window seat so I could, like, okay. hide in the corner and so no one could see the no, embarrassing game No, just share with your passengers. Like, hey, look at this anime girl with the animal ears. You want to see boobs? That was a great. This is a great first line to talk to a stranger with. Yes, exactly. But uh, I I will wait to see when uh, Mask of Deception goes on sale on Steam, and I will give it. Uh, I will try to give it another go. This conversation has also reminded me that Tactics Ogre Reborn is like squarely in my backlog, and I hear that game takes like hundred hours to beat. I love Tactics Ogre. I haven't played that version yet. Uh, I know it's uh, apparently divisive amongst uh fans of the original it's 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 like it's mostly good but there are some weird josh's takeaway was that the you you never really liked the cards too much or at least just acknowledging this makes it very different because there's like there's a new element in the game where like they had they spawn like card buffs in battle and it's totally rng what the what spawns where for for there's no rhyme or reasons and they shift the tide of battle pretty significantly um depending on like if you just stock up on them or ignore them so that was like not my i was like i don't know i feel like the game's like more it has a weird flow to it but the addition of those which is not you know it was one of my few big criticisms of that version but other than that it's still a fucking masterpiece of a game I gotta play more. I stopped playing because uh, I got to a level that was just really hard and I couldn't grind anymore. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, I guess I'm done." Yeah, you do. do you do need to not grind, but like it, it gets pretty punishing uh, if you haven't like leveled up some of their like poor mandatory people that will catch you off guard. Like some say, just like I'm deploying. It's like, but dude, you're like, I didn't really pay attention. It's like, nope, I'm deploying. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well. All right. With with me, it was like I got to this like snowy mountain stage. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it's called, and uh, all of my units were like completely maxed out at the level cap. Uh Because like for those of you don't know, like they have a like stage by stage level cap in Reborn because they don't want you to level up too much. Yeah. Uh, but they let you like grind up to that if you want to. But like everything was just killing my entire team anyway. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do with this then besides be better at the game. And I don't want to do that. So, yeah, you do. Like, no, thank you. Game game tells me to get good. I tell it to go away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it can get get pretty punishing for sure. 
but uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to Unicorn Overlord. It seems like everything I was wanting in an SRPG, and uh, really just hoping the story delivers. And for people, like, there's multiple difficulty levels as well for people who like who are still kind of like, oh, I don't know about this game. It feels is it super pleasure? It's like there's three difficulty levels. You can bump it down to easy, and it'll be you'll be just fine. it'll be just fine. My uh, the bar I want Unicorn Overlord story to uh meet and go past is uh Triangle Strategy because that was the last time I think we got one of these big like. SRPG revivals, and I thought the story of that game was just really middling. It depends on the route for me in that game, where there are some routes in Triangle Strategy where like it, it's kind of dire, and then you kind of have like this true ending, which is like I don't like the 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 the, the I don't like true ending being like the canon, like oh, the, the, this is clearly the the ending it was supposed to, or it was that's tying everything up very nice and. I totally forgot they made like an epilogue update. Yeah. Like did. like half a year later, right? Yeah. And it's just just a cutscene for Triangle that's Strategy. So weird. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, I I I watched it. It's kind of nice. It's just like I'm not sure why they decided to add this later, but sure. See, I I would have had to replay the entire game uh to like get the true ending of that and uh I was just so mad that there wasn't any kind of like flowchart system because I'm pretty sure that is something Tactics Ogre does, right? Yeah, is that you can just go back to specific points. Yeah, and that game is so obviously trying to be Tactics Ogre, so it's weird that they would do this like big root system and then not bring that over. And I was like, oh, you want me to replay this entire game again? Uh, no, no, I'm good. People I'm will tell you that. if you just manipulated everything in your first playthrough perfectly, you can just get the true ending on your first playthrough. And then and then but make it make it stupidly hard too because the because true ending scaling time balance uh, for is, it. Yeah. And you have to like you have to have enough I forget what the three different Oh yeah, the different emotional like, judgments are. Yeah. But like one of them in order to meet the threshold, you just gotta do the random battles and do it like a certain skill over and over again to learn earn enough like I don't know what it is, compassion, whatever. It, it wasn't fun. I, and Josh at the time was like, You shouldn't do this. And I'm like, whatever. And now I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> there are better games to waste your time for. Mm. Yeah. I it, like it was a decent side. game. It, like it. it had really it had really good music. Yeah. Oh, I love I love its music so much. I fought for it tooth and nail. The last major announcement from the there's more than one more announcement. But the last major announcement in our purview from the Nintendo Direct was the announcement of a Gundam Breaker Four. Now I, like I don't know. You, I, I like how you put this as major announcement just to appease me because <laughs> no one else has <laughs> on Earth will consider hey this now. a major announcement. Hey, <laughs> now I think it's major. Kites. I think right. it's major. Okay, so okay. I'm going to explain my layman's understanding of this. Okay. So Gundam Breaker is my understanding. There are three games, and they are really relatively well-received. Then there was New Gundam Breaker, which I don't know what was new about it, but apparently it was terrible. So because this is not New Gundam Breaker 2, but is instead Gundam Breaker 4, this one's actually good. This is my understanding. Oh, that's a, that's a decent understanding of it. There's also after New right. Gundam Breaker, it, 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 it also what mega hate is because they had Gundam Breaker Mobile that ran for like five years, and it's like, oh, okay, this series is fucking dead. So this ha- 
coming out of nowhere is a genuine like miracle and surprise of uh, it. I saw like this this direct partner showcase was like a VOD, so it wasn't live streamed live. You had like a full list of all the announcements right here, and you could just skip to any part of the video. So when I think Adam or or someone else in the staff chat put put up like the list, I was like Gundam Breaker. Oh yeah. This. So what what's 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 sort of funny is that like the Japanese Nintendo Direct and the American upload, like the Nintendo of America, they don't have timestamps, but the UK upload does. So, uh, like, the very first thing I did, like, as soon as the Nintendo Direct dropped, is I just, like, screen-capped the timestamps. Like, here are the announcements. And looking through them, it wasn't... None of, none of them were, like, too surprising. Like, okay, there's Vengeance that sort of leaked. And, like, wait, Gundam Breaker? <laughs> that was the one that <laughs> yeah, stuck like, out to me. Because yeah, like, no one expected it. <laughs> I knew what it was, you know, barely. But, like, I don't think we were expecting a Gundam Breaker announcement. So, no. like, immediately, as soon as the Nintendo Direct dropped, like, probably within, like, 10 seconds, I linked it to Josh, like, uh, Gundam Breaker? <laughs> like, what is this? I was like, question mark? <laughs> so. I, I, don't, I don't fucking know. So, and, and like, the only the only thing that would have, like, hinted at this, which is what's really a hint as well, was the, but they shut down the Gundam Breaker mobile uh, mobile game, like, maybe a year ago or two, I forgot. But it's like, uh, for, for me, it's like, this series is fucking dead. <laughs> Um, no so, one liked New Gun and Breaker, right? No, I did. I did it. I can't speak for everyone, but it was a big, big step down from Gun and Breaker Three. And anyone who played Gun and Breaker Three invited to that, they were all like, "Nope, it was, it wasn't good." Like, so I won't get into why it wasn't good. You can read my review. I put, I gave it a three years ago. I just, I just have very, very little to uh, say about that. So this game. You can tell that they're trying to erase Gundam Breaker or new Gundam Breaker from the from ever existing because this game right away looks like Gundam Breaker 3.5 like in terms of presentation and font work and just like everything about this game. If you've played Gundam Breaker 3 before, it looks like Gundam Breaker 3 if you're just like looking at a menu at this game and you're like, oh shit, they're actually going for it. And for people who are into Gundam Breaker, like that's all we could ever ask for is like a more expanded version of Gundam Breaker 3. Obviously, there's going to be like a new storyline, new everything. Um, uh, obviously, new additions to Gunpla that you can use and new gameplay systems. But for people, it's like, we just want a bigger and better Gundam Breaker 3. And this is sort of what it's going for. So the Gundam Breaker series um, is basically the main gimmick of it uh, is building uh, your own um your own gundam your own specialized gunpla you uh, there's different heads different chests different arms different legs and all sorts of like gameplay systems like say hey you've equipped this um say gundam exia chest so now you can you have uh, you have the option to go transam with this gunpla you know because that's something that from gundam double o that the exia can do so that's why if you equip this chest you can now do use this system and that has Gameplay implica- implications uh, for you. Uh, if you equip like the backpack of like um, the Victory Gundam, you can now use the Victory Gundam's Wings of Light because you have its backpack uh, on you, um, and so forth like that. Um, and one of the big uh, changes they're doing in Gundam Breaker Four is typically in past iterations, when you had uh, when you equipped arms, it was always that. Um, same set of arms, so both of your arms would be like the God Gundams or the the Wing Gundam 
Living Gundam's arms, you, you, you always, it always came uh, both in a set. In this one, it lets you manipulate uh, a unique arm for left and right arm. So you can like kind of like even make even more crazier looking gunpla. Like I'll have um, um, the Zagok's uh, claw arm for my right arm, and then for the left arm, I'll have um, Gundam Dynamis's left arm because it looks cool and this looks rad as fuck. And and because you have two separate arms, they are they're also allow you to dual wield uh, unique um, unique weapons per arm. So I could have like. Um, let's say uh, a, the, this sword for the right arm, and like this, um, I don't know, this whip on the uh, on the on the left arm, and so now you have like you you have like separate actions per arm in the middle of combat, where like square is like your right arm and triangle is like your left arm, and if you have and if you're, you there's also two handed options for like if I, you equip this two handed like sword, it'll it'll play more similarly to like the Muso action of past titles where like uh, it'll be light attacks on square and heavy attacks on triangle or this dual handed weapon um another big thing uh change in this game is it's bumping down the player limit from four to three um which is you know know yeah i'm I'm not i'm not necessarily opposed to it because like it's already chaotic as is in multiplayer so if they they find a better balancing act uh, while making the 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 screen not as like visually cluttered, which is you know that's fine. Personally, I'm not too bothered by it. Um, the 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 one cool thing about this game that they showed off in a later live stream is that the the lobby system in this game is totally overhauled. It's not like in Gundam Breaker Three where you have kind of like that faceless pilot going around this very small hub, and then you just see your gun like big gunpla like displayed. Uh, your gunpla itself is the character going through the lobby. And the lobby is sort of like uh, Fantasy Star Online or like Monster Hunter World, where it'll support up to twenty-four players in that lobby. So you can just see people, your like a community or your like your group of friends, like customizing their gunpla in real time and like making all those all sorts of adjustments. So you can just like see each other, it's like, hey, check this shit out. Look what I made, um, you know. And then like, and then people can go form their own three par- three player groups to go to uh, the play on stages in that same lobby. Um, and that sort of stuff. There's all sorts of like you know minute systems um, that they showed off. Just for the most part, I'm it, it's looking like a return to form, um, which is fantastic. I'm really really excited for it. This is definitely uh this is definitely not on my bingo card for 2024. That's for sure. It's just I'm I'm stoked, man. I'm genuinely very very excited and. I'm, I'm excited very, to get back into it. I played yeah. Breaker Three on Vita. Like, oh my oh, god, nice. that was eight years ago. Oh um, boy. yeah. So, and I tried to play New Gun and Breaker, but again, the game sucks. Uh, so I just again thought the series was dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just looked into it. New Gun and Breaker was six years ago. <laughs> yeah, and then, so, and, then right a- and then right after that was New Gun and Breaker Mobile. The interesting thing is, like in the in the interview they uh, they had with uh, Famitsu, I believe they said they. Development on Gundam Breaker Four started in 2019. Wow, wow, wild! I, I uh, think the one the, the one thing that's like la- like the most interesting thing about this is they haven't officially announced this game for crossplay. I don't know if it will have it, but part of like the live stream footage for this game was like there's a profile card and there's like a friend code at the very bottom of that fr- profile card, 
and you usually don't put friend codes in a multi-platform title these days unless you're doing crossplay. So they haven't said anything. I hope it it is true, but who knows? I don't know. Um, but that'd be amazing if they if they allow for. It. I uh, I'm I'm stoked because uh, I'm now in my like my Gundam era where I'm a huge mecha fan, whereas I was just kind of back in like 2016. So mm. I am so primed to enjoy this. Oh yeah. Honestly, once I leave this call, um, I'm just gonna go to the hobby store and go buy a gunpla. <laughs> hey, should, uh, tell us what you you end up buying. Uh, I so my store has that um, some of those new like seed freedom high grades, and I I don't know anything yeah. about seed besides the fact that it sucks, but those high grades look really nice. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know if you know, but like the collector's edition of Gun Breaker Three has a gunpla in it. And I got really excited, uh, but then they revealed that it was an entry grade, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. Oh, yeah, yeah, they usually do that. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, for, uh, I think they did that for Gundam Breaker 3, and then also Gundam Breaker 4, they're going to do it with, like, a gun barrel Gundam thing, which is, you know, I mean, if, uh, I'm, I know this will sound weird, but, like, I don't build Gunpla as a hobby. I, I, I love doing it in Gundam Breaker, but I don't actually do it in real life. People I, are like, people are like, what are you doing? You're so proud for like, I know, but I have, I feel like I'm gonna fuck it up. I don't have steady hands. I feel like I'm gonna ruin everything. But I, I sure, I, I respect people who do it. I love seeing people do it. Um, you know, my backlog is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I love. I, I haven't had as much time to build like mm-hmm. uh, model kits lately, but like that's, I'm a massive model kit fan. That's awesome. So like, it's really fun. To be like, oh, Gundam game, that's cool. And I, like, know people of, like, certain interests. Like, because I have hobby friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have Monster Hunter friends. And I'm like, hey, right. what if you played Gunpla Monster Hunter? And they go, oh. Wait, no, that sounds rad. I want to play that. I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> I have a friend who's, like, who's a big Monster Hunter fan. Also, like, loves uh, building Gunpla. Like, he'll get, monster, like, expensive Monster Hunter statues. And also, like... Yeah, and then the next thing he's like building a Kshatriya, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is fucking awesome. So it's uh it's great. I mean, I'm I, I hope this is as good as uh, th- as three and ideally even better. Um uh, there's there's no release date, but it's coming out on fucking this everything's year? yep, this year and on like pretty much every platform, I think. I th- I think it's every platform, I'm not sure. More or less. Um not Xbox. Oh, okay. Okay. So everything that makes sense. but Xbox. It, uh, it is it is coming to Switch, and I'm very happy now. I'm more of a PC gamer because I won't even think about getting that game on Switch. Hopefully, it runs good on Steam Deck. Yeah, hopefully that that, that just be, yeah, hopefully uh, for for that. And just you know, uh, it'll be it'll be a game changer because this game will you know have an unlocked frame rate, I imagine, on PC or at least a very high frame rate. And like you know, one of the one of my main gripes is going to Breaker Three is like that game. Yeah, it has a 30 fps cap often dips it has like insane motion blur which is annoying um and you know i won't have to worry about that with this game so yeah we'll we'll see we'll see how it shakes up hopefully i think the, my my ideal release timing for this would be like around may because right now may looks vacant for new releases fingers crossed that is true um, but i imagine in may a lot of people still be playing dragon's dogma yeah well I mean, it, is that April Dragon's or Dog- is that uh, Dragon's March? Dogma Two is March, March oh. twenty two. So 
It's coming out in, in April then. It, so May will be like people will be for, for the few of us, yeah, saga. Oh, yeah, true, true, yeah. Um, yeah that'll a, be me. Uh making stay vacant. <laughs> uh a Uden um is April as well. I think there's like two one or two other April like late April releases. Stellar Blade. Sandland. Sandland. Yeah, yeah so uh Aiden Chronicle, Saga, Emerald Beyond, Sandland, and uh, Stellar Blade all release in like the same week. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I was I was talking to some friends about this. Uh, it's like I feel like this year, if you're primarily into AAA games, there's basically nothing for you, at least like as of now. But if you're into like AA Japanese games, oh my god, you're like you're eating good every month for at least like half of the year so far. We don't even know what's happening in like the later half. Uh, to, to me, I'm just like it's only fe- February, but I'm like it's already like shaping up to be one of my favorite games, uh, like years in gaming ever. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like, overwhelmed. Releases. So I'm just like, fuck, man. There's too many like interesting releases that like in my field like speak to me. And I'm like, how do I like? How am I ever gonna keep up? So I think for the rest of the announcements on the Nintendo Direct, realizing that we're over two hours into this podcast, we'll just kind of give these a little bit of a headline rundown. Maybe give up to five minutes on each if there's something to discuss. Uh, not that any of these aren't like surprising. Like for instance, this next one I don't think is something we expected. Uh, Monster Hunter Stories, which was originally, I hope I get this right, a 3DS game that was later ported to mobile, is now getting yes. the full remaster treatment, and is going to be actually, on PC, PS4, and Switch as well. So this actually is actually did... a bigger deal than uh, just a simple remaster. But I'll go into that in a sec. Yeah, I was going to say it actually did come to one console, and it's James' favorite console. No, we're not yeah. doing this. We're yeah. not doing this. This came out on Apple TV. Apple it Arcade. Was, but totally, yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot I got an Apple Arcade release. Also, Colin, you're wrong. It didn't come to Apple TV because it was on Apple Arcade, but it didn't have gamepad support, so you could not play it on an Apple TV. I could have sworn you could have played this on Apple TV. Nope. Nope. Oh, well, you're the expert. Just tap your TV. <laughs> Easy. But, but uh, uh, I'm I'm excited. I really so, liked Stories 2. So the big thing about this is that when Stories 1 came out in the West, there were three post-launch updates that Japan got. And the Western version was based off of the game after the first update came out. We did not receive the other two updates. And the stuff that those other two updates added were pretty substantial. Like, you got two additional, like, uh, end game tower dungeons like 54s one of which was uh, the ability to redo any of the fights in the story at a higher difficulty the other was uh, fights against some of the characters from the anime uh, you also got double the amount of monster storage you got the ability to completely redo your character at any time as long as you return to your house and there was also like a bunch of monsters that were either not in the Western version, like uh, Kushala de Ora, Tiastra, and I believe uh, Rajang weren't available, but they were in Japan. And then there were other monsters that were available, but only if you downloaded DLC. And now the up and there was the updates made it so that you could actually more easily access those monsters and add them to your team. So it was like a pretty substantial amount of content. Like it's. It's surprising that they didn't make a bigger deal about this in the announcement, but I also understand why, because when Monster Hunter Stories came out, Monster Hunter was a way more niche franchise in the West, for one thing, but also the second thing, uh, 
it was it was a 3ds game that released after the switch came out so most people didn't play the original version so it's not really that much of a selling point if everything's new to you anyways but still interesting it, stuff. It, so i think i think the discharge of this title is like people already have like i assume a lot of people who play monster stories like usually like played monster stories two or wings of ruin or whatever mm-hmm. and like is that is that game like just is if it's you're better. going to like a it's just better yeah. it's just better okay yeah. <laughs> okay so i think that'll be like a challenge for this uh, uh like re-release is like you know some people one thing are that, already, like used to one thing that monster Hunter stories has that's uh, kind of interesting and it it's kind of still there in stories too but mm-hmm. it, it seems like they kind of scrubbed most of it like last minute uh, so there's one thing you can do in stories where uh, with the gene system, you can actually give monsters different elemental properties. And like uh, the way they introduce it in stories, one is that you give a Lugambi fire powers, which is absolutely insane. Uh, the way it worked in stories, one is that based off of the elemental properties that you give to a monster, you're basically making your own subspecies because it changes the color palette of the monster to uh, match the element you gave it. Okay. Okay. And that wasn't in stories too, even though you yeah. could do the same thing with giving yeah. them additional like elemental properties. Stories one does have one very important thing that stories two does not. A very important thing. Crucially important. Oh yeah? Oh yeah. I don't believe you. <laughs> we've had it we've talked about this before. It has Pookies. Oh, oh that's right. Wait, Pookies are not in stories two? No. They're collectibles they, in one, but they're not in two. Really? I didn't even realize that Poogie wasn't yeah. in stories two. Huh. Now okay, you're so, so, so now there's the, that's that's the reason they should market it. Uh, that's how that's what they should write on uh, for this uh, game's marketing. It's like, look. Monster Hunter sorry. Stories One featuring Poogie. Exactly. We fucked up with two, but we're able to rectify it with this pre-release. And I forget if I said, but uh, that is slated for summer 2024. We don't have a specific release date yet, just the window. Here's one that I know Adam and Chow, at the least, and potentially others are interested in. A follow-up to Ender Lily's Quietus of the Nights. We have the announcement of Ender Magnolia Bloom in the Mist. So basically, it takes place in like the same uh, canon as the original game and has a very like pretty trailer to go along with it. It looks very neat. I'm excited to play it. Uh, the funny thing about the announcement is that they have officially only announced it for Switch, but if you go to the website, it has like the copyright notices for uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and uh, Steam. So it's coming. Oh, go for it. Finish your thought. So it's like it's they haven't announced it yet, but it, it's coming to everything. It's coming to everything. Before we... Uh... Go on with this news story. Uh, I understand Colin has to has to leave. Yes, unfortunately, okay. uh, I have to yep. run out. But uh, this was great. Uh, I will try my best to be here uh, next week. Uh, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it because I'll definitely have a lot to say about Final Fantasy VII. Okay. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. It was and, nice having uh, you on, dude. Yeah, anytime. I, I will try to be there more often. But yeah, take care, everybody. Take care, dude. Thanks, Colin. All right, bye. And to wrap up for that, uh, just 2024 is the slated release date for Magnolia Bloom in the Mist.
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird because like, like um, James was saying, this uh, if you go to their site, there's like a timer countdown again for next info drop, along with trademark notices for other platforms. Even though it's only announced for Switch for now, and it makes me wonder is like is the timer countdown to reveal is to reveal it for other platforms? I don't know. Who knows? Um, and it's and it's like it's it would be one thing if it was just like. It's a like looking at the page. There's literally only the logo, the countdown, and then the copyright notices. So it's like it's very conspicuous. Like you, it's impossible not to notice. It's like oh, I guess this is coming to Steam, Xbox, and PlayStation. Um, and according to Adam, this does not exist yet until it comes to PC, right, Adam? That's his oh no, mindset. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I agree. So I I am, I'm. Ender Lilies, I liked it a lot. It's a very Valkyrie profile, which is why I liked it. Um, yeah, I was excited for this one, and then I saw that it was only announced for Switch, and I was sort of like, well, never mind. I'll wait, I'll wait. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I started Ender Lilies, but like some, I got an assignment, uh, probably, and I had to like drop it for a bit. So I'll probably re- restart that game because I wasn't too far in. But I, I am interested in uh, playing through it, hopefully before Ender Magnolia. Um, I, it it was a pretty much a cult classic. Like like people who played it really really liked it. I I believe it was like pretty rated highly when it came out. So didn't at least some of the developers, or was it the publisher, or something? I know that we that like some of the people that worked on Ender Lilies also worked on Harvest Stellar, right? Yeah, they had two different developers. Developers they had AdGlobe and then they had LiveWire, and one went to make uh, Harvest Stellar, and the other went to make. Uh, Redemption Redemption Reapers, which I reviewed. So they kind of had two different developers. I'm not sure if we know who's developing this. I think it's AdGlobe. Yeah, doing... I, uh, the press release uh, uh, mentioned both AdGlobe and LiveWire. Oh, really? Maybe they're yeah. teaming up again, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. And then there's always one of these. On the Japanese Nintendo Direct, there was a exclusive announcement, if you want to say that. Think of it that way. Uh, for a new Furio RPG, the in the Japanese Nintendo Direct uh, announced to release this summer, we had the announcement of Reinatus, Reinatus, uh, which will release in Japan for Nintendo Switch and then also PlayStation platforms on July 25th. It's an action RPG featuring uh, two parallel protagonists, and I've seen some people compare like the general art and vibe of this game to that Virum Rex, and this is not a Square Enix game. But I've seen people even though Nojima is working on it. Well, oh, there you go. There's it's <laughs> so yeah. This game is uh, first of all, see, if you go to the official website on this one, it's developed by Natsume Atari, uh, who is sort of interesting because they don't typically do games like this. They did the uh, Aiden Rising, like sort of like uh, companion game that came out a couple years ago for the Aiden series, and they also did a. Uh, they're also doing the Penny Blood <laughs> companion game coming out, but um, oh yeah, yeah. The, uh, the there's some key staff on this game that are like Square Enix veterans. There's uh, what Kazushige Nojima, who's done a lot of Square Enix writing on Final Fantasy stuff. Um, Yoko Shimomura, who's not a Square Enix employee but does a ton- has done a lot of Square Enix stuff, of course. Uh, and then Yusuke Neora, who's done a bunch of like Square Enix art, and he apparently did the key art, so. That's why it might look like a Square Enix game, because it's got the artist who's worked on Final Fantasy stuff in the past. Um, he didn't do the character design, though. That was someone else whose name I don't have in front of me. Um, 
but a lot of people I've seen people compare this and like this looks like versus 13 or Verum Rex or whatever and it's like I don't know <laughs> see what and you yeah, want to see <laughs> it's 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 I'm, I'm very once again there's the Furio classic where you know yeah. uh, Furio like a published game it's like the, the first things they'll tell you it's like this is from very recognizable names in this in this space but like, like for example, Monarch. It's like, oh, this is from like the uh, Megami Tensei original Persona, yeah, yeah or the original Megami Tensei people. And it's like, well, that didn't pan out. And the Caligula effect, you know, had like recognizable names, and that didn't really pan out. And I mean, like people, other... people like Caligula effect overdosing too. Like generally, like I, I, I do know people that do really like those games. Uh, and, and, this and, isn't and, here I mean, or there, but I know someone I, who tried overdose like last week and hated it. <laughs> Well, here's well, here's the other thing. Didn't you, Adam? Didn't you generally like Crymachina? And that was a Furu game. Yeah, but oddly enough, that was one of the ones where they didn't like advertise a big name. Yeah, and I liked it enough. Like I gave it a seven. Like I liked it. It's like it's like one of those things that's like, well, we'll see how it pans out because you know it's 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 easy to like get excited now because you see big names like they've done this. Or other times, you know. Yep. So it's just, you know, Furio has a track record. It's a pattern. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah, I fully this expect is... like um, NIS America is who I would guess would release this uh, or exceed Marvelous, one of those two. Yeah. Because last yeah, year, also it seemed. All I was gonna say is last year Marvelous released uh, one Furio game, which Trigger. was Trinity Trigger, and. NAS America did the other one, which was uh, Cry Machina. Oh yeah, Trinity Trigger. Two. Once again, uh, another project that had recognizable names that was announced. Yeah, and it, I did not yeah. like that one. Yeah, so. I I will say that this seems to be like a similar situation maybe to like uh, what we were just talking about with uh, Ender Magnolia, where it's like it's announced for PlayStation Switch, but there's a copyright notice for Steam on the website. And if you actually link the website, the uh, the like uh, what what would it what do you call it? Is like, it like, like the, the metadata, robot text? The me- yeah, the, the metadata will mention. The metadata Steam. says it's coming to Steam, so it's like I'm guessing they're just waiting until like a localization announcement or something. But yeah. probably coming to PC. Are you gonna get uh, check this out, Adam? Probably. Love Crimea. It it looks it looks neat, and uh, I'd like to check it out. It, it's very funny how like uh, obviously folks are saying, "Oh, it's this is like Verum Rex." When uh, Nomura has outright said that he intends to make a Verum Rex game eventually. So, yeah, I mean, and we got such about some gameplay footage as well from the announcement. It's like it's, it seems to be an action RPG, and it has very urban street life. Uh, Environmental design with like a lot of neon. I see you. An organization thirteen member. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well be. The last major announcement of the week that wasn't part of the Nintendo Direct, but pe- people had kind of been predicting for a while because of like YouTube upload metadata stuff, is that we finally got a trailer and a release date for the long-awaited Elden Ring Shadow of the Erd Tree DLC. We yeah. will be we got a trailer for it and it'll be releasing on June 21st and it will um, feature a place called the Land of Shadow, which is described as obscured by the Erd Tree. And we will finally meet Michaela, which is the brother of Millennia of Elden Ring infamy. And then, yeah. of course, the trailer shows a lot of environments and beasts and 
boss fights and all the usual thing you would expect for this sort of trailer. Uh, so, so there's interesting things like going on with the, with this uh, expansion compared to other past farm software DLC uh, things. So, one, this is substantially more expensive than past DLC. It's like forty dollars, I believe, um, and it even has like like physical release or at least like they're at, they're selling physical stuff for this DLC as well, which is interesting. Um, in the trailer, you obviously you've seen like the the new area, the land of shadow. They, in previews, they said it's about as big as Limgrave. So, who knows how big it'll be? Like, it, Limgrave is pretty substantial. Um, uh, mm-hmm. We see some new weapons. We see like kind of like a, a blade and shield uh, sort of thing, and then like a reverse uh, grip, like dual style. And then they have like some martial art, uh, like a martial art move set. Uh, as well in that uh, trailer and then there's like a, a dedicated like throwing projectile like throwing knife um weapon type pattern because they they said they're act are adding like eight new weapon categories i believe which is a lot <laughs> that's that's quite quite a bit um the the most interesting part about this game uh this expansion that's uh, a big change from past dlc uh souls uh Souls DLC is, is I'm trying to I'm trying to explain this like in the way that they said it. Um, there's like a new power, like not power requirement, like a power system that's only in the DLC area where you progress your power level similar to Sekiro. So how it was in Sekiro is you beat these this like specific bosses to obtain their memories, and you use these memories to power up your attack power in that game so they're trying to solve this problem that's happened in almost every souls dlc um from uh, where you have like your completed character go start the dlc and you're and you're just kind of gonna kind of like pretty much stomp everything because you have this completed character or the opposite where it's like oh maybe you're on new game plus seven now and and so the DLC is going to kick your fucking ass. So. Yeah, true, true. So they're trying to set like this new like power standard uh, in in this land of shadow. Who knows exactly how it's going to like manifest? But they're they're comparing it to Sekiro, so you kind of have like a somewhat decent framework, like um, what, where they're going to take this, which is interesting. Um, they mentioned at least ten new bosses, and. Interestingly enough, like um the the story for this DLC isn't like it wasn't like penned by George R. R. Martin. It was it's like they're building off of the mythos that he like provided for the base game, but it's not like this was this wasn't like directly penned by him on like you know the base game. Um and yeah, it's uh it's pretty interesting what they where they're taking this uh, this expansion. And I'm I'd totally like you... gonna load up my character and be like, I have no idea how to play this game. I have no I, idea what I was good at. I have no I, idea where I fit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thinking like, I was like, maybe I'll start like I do a new a new Elden save like in May. Maybe start like working on a character so I can be ready for this. Um, in the empty month of May. Yeah, the empty month of May <laughs> until until, <laughs> until otherwise stated. Um, I I believe. I'm trying to remember if there was like if they mentioned like how you access DLC, but it's gonna be at least beating Mog and Rodan, I believe, because because the one of the one of the 
locations in the in the trailer where you can clearly like know where it is, like the Mogworm Palace. Um, so we'll see. Makes I sense. It's there. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure pretty much everyone assumed as soon as they got to that like section after beating Mog, it's like, oh, so this is where the DLC is going to start exactly. because it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's um. It's gonna be out the same day as uh, SNT Five Vengeance, so not good. Already, once again, not good <laughs> on having multiple big releases on the same day. It can't keep fucking happening this year. Uh... It's like it's happening with Dragon's Dogma Two and Rise of the Ronin. It's not quite the same thing, but Stellar Blade, Saga Emerald Beyond, and Aiden Chronicles come out within three days of each other. There's Nightmare. A top, uh, there's a top of like of uh, on top of like the previous like Infinite Wealth, Persona Three Reload, and Relink. Yeah, Relink. Publishers yeah. are not allowed to cheering release the one, anything. Cheering in the May. Wonder and Final Fantasy yeah, VII Rebirth uh, on uh, within two days of each other. So. Yeah, not not good, not good. So yeah, May. Uh, like like Adam said, nothing gets released in May at all. Period. Okay, give us time to catch up. May is our backlog month. Just just <laughs> let it be. Just let it be. May is the month that Adam needs to play all five saga routes for like 500 hours and be a completionist. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I am actually genuinely worried that like Aiden is going to be like a massive, massive game. So it's like between that and saga, it's like, oh man, well, even be fully finished with those games by the time that the SMT five and the uh, Elden Ring DLC hits. I don't know. I don't I know. That, I, uh, I watched that like recent Saga Emerald Beyond like stream that like actually showed off like the combat in action like like live action, and it's like fuck, man, this game looks insane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have a few smaller updates to uh, round out the middle part of the podcast here. I say middle, back third. Uh, so basically, these are like upcoming uh, added gameplay trailers or behind the scenes looks at some upcoming games. We got two updates for Rise of the Ronin, the aforementioned Rise of the Ronin. So we have our second entry and their behind the scenes series. They had one last week or the week before where they just talked about the the era the game is set in, the story premise and the history. Um, this one, they did a behind the scenes on like the armaments, the weaponry, the fighting styles, and basically talking kind of about the uh, merging of kind of like the classic Samurai Bushido versus the you know the appearance of bayonets and handguns and uh, artillery and things like that, and a little bit about the hang glider and a few things. And they talk about how they designed the uh, the combat system with some realism in mind. You know, they wanted to make sure that these were feats that could actually be accomplished. There's no fantasy elements or very, 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 very light fantasy elements. So it's about a 10 minute kind of assigned a little micro documentary, which is kind of fun to watch. It's realistic. Just like firing off projectiles from a hang glider, you know? Well, just, yeah, uh, the, 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 the combat world, designer, <laughs> the combat designer talks about like, these are things that could be actually be accomplished. And this guy is like flinging himself six feet in the air. It's, and it's, yeah. it's like, it's, it's, I, I see agree with you. trying to ground it a little bit, but <laughs> with understanding that this is a video game. So one, the there's, other collect- video- there's collectible cats in this game. Um, that, that's oh, what they hope- that, that, that world vignette thing. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh yeah, so the other one was a vignette series. So this is another like separate series of videos. So the behind the scenes series, which we've got two entries. And this one they're calling the vignette series. So the first one is called the world vignette. 
And it's basically, I kind of like the idea of this. There's no voiceover, no in-game dialogue, I don't think. And it's only just uh, pure gameplay, pure panovers of the environments, uh, things like that. Uh, so there's a lot of the hang glider because, of course, it gives you an ICU point. And uh, yes, a lot of collectible cats. I hope they do like a Neo um, uh, thing and they put a Scampus in there somewhere. I want to see a Scampus. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> Just hit it away. <laughs> yeah, the 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 world vignette seems like something that would be on like for us boomers uh g4 like cinematech which is just like a random uh, cutscene yeah. that they roll into yeah it's kind of fun the the, the behind the scenes the focusing on like uh the fight uh the combat system it's like this is like kind of the first time they've actually like showed off like hey there's actually party members in this game that you can like oh yeah i should have touched on that more on uh on stages so like there'll be like uh historical figures like ryoma soka sakamoto that like you can like form a bond with and like you can like actually have them like assist you in like missions, which is I, I thought like since since this was, a, this was an open world action RPG, I was like I thought there'd be like no stages, but apparently like, there's like mission stages too in this game. And like it's interesting because you have these uh, different um, on top of like the weapons that you collect, each of them has like uh, like a school or practice like combat style um, that can be upgraded. And you do this as uh, by like uh, enhancing the bond level with like different allies. So if you want to make a, a certain weapon stronger during combat style, you have to engage with the system to like build up bonds with them. And like even in the middle of combat when they assist you, like you can actually swap control over to them so you're playing them too. Which is that was the part like, that took me by surprise because yeah. it's, it's like yeah, Wo Long had a had an ally system, kind of rudimentary in comparison. But yeah, there was at a basic level a bond level. They give you their gear if you bonded high enough with them. So at the, you could kind of see like oh, they extrapolated from that to make the party system in Rise of the Ronin. It's like well, yes, but also you can play as them. Like you can literally just switch mid fight. Kind of it almost the way they show it. It's hard to see based on the way they cut the trailer. But it almost looks like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth yeah. Remake style, where like yeah. mid combat, you're like, I'm gonna change to this character now and use their weapon style, and like, oh, that's uh, that was when, when I was watching the trailer. It's like that's I was not expecting that. Yeah, so that's a, there, there's <laughs> there's a lot of like interesting like just like things they kind of throw out. It's like, wait, you can do that <laughs> throughout these series. But like, so. yeah, you know, a lot of these Souls like games, even in Team Ninja, have had followers. This is nothing new, and they're like, just watch, just this is new. Let go, okay. Mm. Yeah, this is uh these have been really cool like behind the scenes like things coming out for Rise of the Ronin. It's kind of interesting like their marketing style for this game where it's like it's more subtle, it's not it's more subdued compared to like other mm-hmm. marketing uh stuff for other games. Yeah, cuz there're two there're two trailer series now. One is kind of this low really chill just vibe video the vignette and then the other one the other ones are kind of like these micro documentaries. So not not bombastic, not flashy, just really chill. Mm. We also got kind of similar to the 10 minute Rise of the Ronin one, kind of. We've got a similar gameplay extended overview for the upcoming Sandland that we brought up earlier. So, yeah, about a 10 minute video. And this one is kind of like voiced over by, uh, you know, voice of God, voice in the sky about how all the game system works uh, for Sandland. And Sandland has had a ton of trailers, even on the news post for this, Adam, kind of, or was it Adam? Let's see. No, it was Josh on this one. Yeah, you bulleted out all of the other things they've covered. And like story trailer, gameplay footage, announcement trailer, hands-on impressions. So there's been a lot of video footage for this game. But I watched this one front to finish. And it's a, this one's like a nice 
container that just kind of touches it is the on best, like this is the best like video they've released for this game in terms of like what is the game what do you do in this game what can i do in this game um mm-hmm. and it gives a nice succinct summary of that and i think i think i think you know the on-foot combat is like take it or leave it i don't think that's like really the appeal of the game i think the strongest thing that this game has it's going going for it is like that vehicle combat where you have like these d- different vehicles that you can summon at will through these capsules and like there's like extensive customization on like them and like you know from aesthetic preference on like paint jobs but also like in terms of like what weaponry and arsenal you'll equip them with for certain situations and i think that's kind of I'm, I'm hoping this game is like really really cool um because i think there, there's a lot of neat ideas in play that like definitely is um reminiscent of like um like metal max type of stuff mm-hmm. There's two things in the trailer I want to highlight. First of all, there's a town that you can build up, and I'm always a sucker for that. Like, oh crap, do I have to play this? <laughs> like, you know, the, here's a town. It starts as a dump, but this is what it can become if you put, you know, your blood, sweat, and tears into it. I'm like, oh shit, I hate this stuff. I mean, I hate, I hate it because I love this stuff. That means I gotta play it. Um, but also, you talk about all the mech customizations, and it's like your capsules can only hold five, so you know, you gotta be choosy about what you pick. I'm like, wait, how many are there? So the yeah. way that they're they haven't they haven't said explicitly, but it seems like there's not only can each mech be like tailored to what armaments you want, but like it seems like there's just like a huge slew. We don't know the total, I don't think, about what you can pick from because you can only bring five with you at any given time. I'm also glad that they just showed off like another environment besides like the. Desert. I understand that the core story is desert focus, but like I just need a little bit of environmental variety in the colors. And like, oh, okay, there's like a green zone. Yeah, like a green like grass area. Yeah. But yeah, it looks really fun. It looks like a. It's in a, in a crowded time. I guess we keep harping, but this. If I were to play like a game that's out of my like comfort or familiarity zone because i don't know anything about this ip this would probably be the one be like you know what i'll give this one a try we got a similar though much shorter gameplay trailer for flintlock the siege of dawn which whenever i see this title i'm like wait yeah that's that's right not only has flintlock the siege of dawn not come out yet but it still doesn't really have a date uh slated for this year at the moment no specific window we got a new gameplay footage called wanderer's rest this trailer, I'll just be honest, I thought it was okay. It's pretty short. It's I like that it's uninterrupted gameplay. It's it's not cut too much, but it's mostly just like a single minor boss fight and the gameplay I don't think shows that well. It's it's a little bit slower. It's behind the shoulder. You, you know, tell it's definitely cool. it's definitely its core inspiration was like the new God of War series in terms of mm-hmm. the perspective and like how the gameplay flow goes. Like it's cool that you got a gun, you know, <laughs> to mix it up. But it shows a little bit of traversal where, like, you use your little familiar. I'm not sure what it is. It's like a cat lemur thing, um, and like you can use that to help, like, get up to higher ledges. There's a little bit of platforming, but most of this footage is a is a boss fight. That is not. I mean, it's it's not great. It's not terrible. It's just kind of fine. The boss has like a club, and you shoot it, and you dodge it when it swings. So I, I still think this game could be interesting, and I know Adam's kind of interested in it, but I, I think this trailer's just kind of eh, look at it. Adam, are you going to review this when it gets a date? I, I'm i obligated to review all the Euro drink. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, yes, I will. It's my job. <laughs> Adam's like, I am Euro Jank's strongest champion. That's also yeah, so of a joke. That's also something of a joke, because this is actually from New Zealand. So. Oh, oh. Yeah, we got us. 
that's southern hemisphere europe more or less and i guess like i i hate to look at a trailer and just tell everyone eh, it's meh but i just watched the rise of the ronin gameplay which looked neat and then the sandland gameplay which looked neat and then this one just kind of in comparison i was like i'm not, I'm not feeling as much and then the last gameplay trailer that we got uh for an upcoming game oh no i closed my um uh my document the x asterisk uh premium mobile game releasing in a couple weeks uh from the same developers actually releases in a couple days Arctic. a couple yeah. days yeah you're right it's february 27th so we're three days at the time of recording so yeah x asterisk this is from the same developers as arc knights our knights i always forget if the k is pronounced both ways um so and then this is a kind of a classic premium mobile game and like it, it, will, it will have a single price which i don't know if it's been detailed as ten dollars i believe yeah it's ten dollars it's yeah. not it's not a gotcha game um, yeah not gotcha as far as far as i can tell let me check let me check the uh, apple page they're not advertising mobile no i think the google play purchase. page does say in app purchases or at least it used to yeah Let's i don't know the Apple page doesn't say anything clear, but based on the footage and based on the way they're marketing it, they're saying this is a premium $10, like Chaos Rings sort of title where it just happens to be played on a mobile phone. And basically we got a gameplay introduction trailer and a world building trailer for this, just, just to kind of show like how the battle system works. Uh, yeah, okay, Adam does show that it does have in-app purchases of some fashion, but we you don't, don't exactly know. Well, it like, could just be boilerplate and they're just assuming and then it may not. Who knows? Story yeah, yeah, be wrong. It might be an error. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, we don't, we don't trust Google and we don't I, trust Google I, I, anymore. I, I plan on actually checking this game out. I don't know if it's not going to be on release, but I'm definitely interested because like you don't just you don't see this type of game like from typical like people who like who release free to play um gotcha games. So I'm really just to see like why they decided to go this route and uh, to see if there's a good game, you know, in it. I think the gameplay introduction trailer is like it's pretty interesting because it reminds me a lot of like Final Fantasy thirteen, oddly enough, in terms of like enemy state where like you can you can like launch enemies into the air and like keep them in there to have like break states for rewarding you for keeping them in the air. Same thing for like for downing them. And there's like a whole robust like system of how like you um, manipulate the like the combo of your moves. Like, yeah, the, you know, as for the trailers themselves, there's there actually two trailers released this week. Yeah. One of them, which they call like the world building PV, that one is basically like it's framed as like this is your mission briefing because you're like an agent of some place and this is the planet you're going to and this is the problem. So that's what that's how it's framed for the that's world. The same, that's the same way they now, that's frame the same way they game too. Yeah, but then the the gameplay introduction trailer that Josh was just talking about, it's kind of like a long video tutorial. Like it's literally like here's the combat screen. Here you're where your icons are, and it, none of it is voice. It's like literally just pointing out, like, here's where the character icons are. If you click this, you can check their stats. To do skills, you go over here. You can check the status of the enemy, and then it'll like go out of battle. Like on the world, you can explore and find these things, and then later on, here's what the skill tree looks like. So it's kind of just like literally going over like all the different components and mechanics of the games, like. A and the backing would... soundtrack's kind of like nice and just like a just like mm -hmm. just like a vibe. It's I don't know. It's relaxing to watch. I don't know. There's, there's like a Tetris component to like the, these upgrade systems. There's like 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 oddly shaped like molds, and then like you fit pieces into them the best that you can. Mm. All right. It reminds me of something in another game, but I can't bring it to mind. Where not only is your inventory in this case is a skill screen, like a unique shape, but the items, your skills, you're putting into it are unique shapes as well. So that's how. So you have to fit them in there in a way that 
maximizes your whatever you want your build to be and also do you literally have like the quote unquote space to put uh, it so that's our prize fantasia for the v that had uh, a tetra system oh did it i played that yeah <laughs> i'm trying to remember yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember from it. It's like, it's like the, 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 the. I remember two things from it: the Tetris thing, and the Vax story, like plot twist in it. My my only thing that I know about Archive Fantasia is the like masterclass like English dialogue YouTube oh, yeah. Mimi video. <laughs> yeah. that, the, the English voice acting just put in a vacuum, and it's be like, here's what you get. That covers it for gameplay overview for upcoming games. Are for sales, we have a couple big ones here. Uh, we have that near Automata has, I think it's on its seventh anniversary right around now, and it has sold eight million units worldwide, and that's about a half million more than a little under a year ago. So, near Automata just selling a cool five hundred thou or so in the last ten or so months. It just keeps trucking along. Yeah, it's uh, man, fuck. who could have fucking seen this? Yeah, so like, imagine t- saying to someone in like 2013 or 2014, the sequel to Nier is going to sell more than the Final Fantasy VII remake, because it remake, as far as we know, is at seven million. Now I know it'll probably go up, you know, people buying double dipping or whatever as they're excited for sequels, but still, like, eight million the is kind of crazy. Even in the same like yeah. order of magnitude. <laughs> And, if you had uh, told me uh, back in uh, when was uh, Nier Automata first announced? Was, it was 2015. Yeah, it was 2015. Yeah. If you had told me in May of 2015 that not only was the original Nier going to get a sequel, but it was going to end up selling more than the first portion of the remake of Final Fantasy yeah, VII, I, just, I would have laughed in your yeah, face. Right. I, I actually just said that. Must have missed it. But just like. That's that was such a success for Square Enix. I feel like for several years afterwards, they were trying to like replicate it with they were releasing so many like mid budget games from various franchises, trying to basically replicate like, can we get like a hit, you know, from a game that's not a triple A game that's not should have been have like doesn't doesn't have like a gigantic development cost or whatever. Can we get a hit? And they had like some modest successes, you know, I think. Octopath. They're the just like we just need one of these to hit, and then none of them hit. Octopath. The first one was like three million. I think Trials of Mana hit like one million. The remake, but yeah, Nier Automata is uh, on its own, you know, tier here. So they also, they yeah. also produced. They also inadvertently produced the Queen of RPGs that uh, showed up in like virtually almost every fucking mobile game, and other and other like big budget like 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 Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising. Yeah, that's the most recent one, right? She just yeah. got added to the Grand Blue Fantasy. Yeah, but, it, but she even showed up in shit like Rainbow Six Siege. You know? Yeah, it's like okay. <laughs> yeah, so. Soul Calibur Six Two, I believe, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's just they 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 created like honestly like probably one of the most icon like modern iconic characters in terms of like just how much you see this character now. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And I will say though that I do think that kind of unrelated it does seem like we're eventually going to get like uh, a near three like uh, stuff at the recent concerts has just been like teasing that it's like okay there there's more to the story eventually so hopefully uh that means that uh 
with how successful Nier Automata was, maybe within the next couple of years. I, I kind of hope they kind. I kind of hope they just kind of wrap or like it, like the the next whatever the next mainline Nier is, as it's like totally fucking different, like how from from how original Nier was to Automata, which was totally different. I just kind of hope they don't continue the two B and nine S story and kind of just once again I, do something completely different. That's I, I I also hope that they don't continue the 2B and 9S story, but I will also say that whatever a near 3 ends up being, I would not bet on 2B and 9S not appearing in some form. I mean, they did, they, they, they kind of almost didn't replicate in some yeah. shape or form, so. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm with you where it's like, I if if they released a near 3 and had like only the most tenuous of connections to the other two, like very like almost like you blink and you miss it. I'd be okay with that, but I'm pretty sure they're going to make it a little bit more than just that. I mean, it so just makes sense. sense. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, like if I, if I look, if I was tired to like, fuck you, I'm making dragon guard four. That's mm-hmm. it. Like, okay. <laughs> also for sales updates, we got an update that tales of arise has sold 3 million copies. And Adam, you did a little bit, or was it Adam or Josh? Adam on this one. Um, they, you looked at a few other sales updates for the series, well, and you think Tales of Arise might be the best selling in the series now? So a couple of years ago, during like a big, I forget if it was like just like a franchise, like anniversary, you know, celebration thing. They actually had like a list of sales for the entire series. And um, this was in September 2021. Uh so yeah, the the official Japanese Twitter account a couple of years ago gave away like the best selling schemes in the series, and it was Tales of Vesperia at two point eight eight million, and that was combining like its Xbox release, its PlayStation three release, and its remaster. So like that was a few years ago. Now Tales of Arise is at three million. It's like well, Vesperia could maybe also be at three million if it sold maybe a hundred thousand in the last couple of years. So in in either case, Arise is either number one or number two. I think. Symphonia is also really high at around like 2.4 million and it's like how much did the remaster sell it could be also around 3 million I kind of doubt it but in any case I think it's safe to say that Arise, Vesperia and Symphonia are the best selling Tales games uh Vesperia and Symphonia kind of cheating because they've had like multiple releases but still they're all roughly in that 2 to 3 million range so So obviously yeah. Tales of Arise was kind of like a paradigm shift for Tales Studio because it was like, you know, they put a lot more time into it. It wasn't an annual release as the series had been like for the decade prior. So I do wonder like what their sales expectations were. I mean, to say it's the best selling game or damn close to it in the series has got to be somewhat of a success. But I just don't know like what their expectations were with the way they re kind of shuffled their focus around. But still good to see it at three million. And the last update that we have is um, Owlcat Games has announced that uh, Warhammer Rogue Trader, which released last December, has hit the 500,000 sales, the half million mark. And this is in addition to their major like 1.1 update that came out over the last week that fixed, you know, a billion things. Yeah, uh, this this PC Gamer article uh, said apparently the update to Rogue Trader made over 1,800 bug fixes or or changes to the game so like uh, that's, that's why we haven't reviewed of, uh... it yet <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah uh 
so yeah, I am on track to review this. I have a review review copy that I've not made a lot of progress in. I'll just be honest. But once I'm done with like now, now that version 1.1 has seemingly like really cleaned up a lot. Hopefully, like in the long run, this will give me a, a more valid shake at at the game and because having had played the other two games as they launched with the issues that they had, I was like, you know what? I mean, you you've said this before, but for people listening to the podcast for the first time, like you could not even finish Kingmaker because it was so buggy. So that's your yeah. excuse, if you will. Like I'm gonna wait. I don't, mm. you know, you don't want to play it. But, but but yeah, five hundred five hundred thousand copies for a CRPG turn-based is pretty damn incredible. And also in the year that like when Baldur's Gate 3 came out too. So. Mm-hmm. So I, I think people are like, like are coming around now like, you know, they got they got to CRPG Baldur's Gate 3 like I'm going to go check out other ones, you know. I'm sure that's like uh, some sort of trickle effect uh, in some aspect for some of them. And also I just, I don't know how much weight the Warhammer IP is pulling because I just, I know it's super right. popular in certain circles. I don't know if that overlaps. To what extent does that overlap with the PC gaming circle? I assume pretty significantly, but I, I just don't know because I'm not in that sphere. But hopefully, it, you know, it seems like it's pretty well regarded. So hopefully they're getting a real cool game in their, in their Warhammer IP because I know Warhammer IP in terms of video games has not always created the best, <laughs> the best work. Um, but this one seems like it's, I'm excited to get to this one, but I guess I'll reserve judgment until I experience for it for myself. Maybe this will be my May game. <laughs> uh, going into dates. Uh, obviously, the uh, Unicorn Overlord demo is out now. Also out now that was announced on the uh, Nintendo Direct is Pentiment. So obviously, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about Xbox moving four of their titles. Uh, what, Pentiment, Hi-Fi Rush, Grounded, and Sea of Thieves to... Uh, other platforms, including Switch and PlayStation. And Pentiment is now available on Nintendo and PlayStation consoles. To be clear, not all of those games are announced for Switch. I think like Hi-Fi Rush, they specifically did not announce for Switch. Got yeah, no the idea. rumor the rumor is is that they tried to get it running at 60 FPS, and which obviously would be important for what type of game Hi-Fi Rush is. And they weren't able to get it working without like frame dips here and there, which for the type of game Hi-Fi Rush is, unacceptable so yeah because it's, it's uh, very rhythm based so yeah just to just to be clear pentiment is out on ps5 ps4 nintendo switch on right out now hi-fi rush uh, is also out now but only for ps5 digital storefronts grounded uh is coming out on april 16 to ps5 ps4 and switch and it'll be cross-play supported with existing platforms so all between them and then the sea of thieves will be april 30th for ps5 also going to support crossplay between between Xbox and PC. Nope. Thank you for the rundown. Yeah, Pentiment. I know a couple of us here have played it, and it's an excellent little kind of inventive little game. So you should play it if you've got time. Yeah, it's, it's good that can this I, got spread to like other platforms, and like so more people get to, can get to play this. Can I? Can I use? Can I? Can I have a soapbox here for a second? Uh, so Pentiment is getting a physical release on. Uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch. Uh, and Hi-Fi Rush is also getting a physical release for PlayStation and Xbox now. Microsoft, by their own admission, is the biggest publisher of video games in the world now. Why the hell are they partner- partnering with Limited Run Games to do these physical releases instead of doing it themselves? Mm. <laughs> that's a great question, James. Small, small indie company, as I understand. 
it's it's just really frustrating because it's like I when when limited run games started, the idea was, oh, we'll give physical releases to these smaller developers that can't handle it. I did not realize that the trillion dollar company uh, Microsoft was a small developer that would need assistance when publishing a physical video game. It's like, sorry, I know that's completely unrelated. It's just like something that's really been kind of like pissing me off since the announcement because it's like come on yeah like i now someone limited run games i sort of view it as like sort of like boutique you know collectors you know stuff that wouldn't have gotten it otherwise so microsoft like you've been how long you've been in the xbox business now you can sell your xbox games at retail come on you gotta figure it out i mean whether there are other platforms or not so i don't know and it's like they have their own online storefront. If they didn't want to have a wider physical release, make it a pre-order on your own goddamn website. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, that is a little bit of a soapbox, but I, I'm kind of sitting here nodding along like, yeah, that is that's silly. I don't understand it. And as someone who hasn't really um, been a patron of limited run games, my understanding is that they have some issues in terms of like timely deliveries or things like that. Like they're not timely deliveries and also um, communication. I know that there was a few years back, the big issue with uh, the Sharon, the Wanderer's Tower of Fortune, Dice of Fate, PC and switch physical releases where people got their PC physical release in and in their box for their PC physical release, they got a steam code when it was advertised as here is a CD jewel case with a disc where you can install the game from a disc. And that was a huge thing. And the way that some of the limited run games like founders kind of reacted in that situation. And in the months and years since it's like, it's very embarrassing, very embarrassing. Well, I guess at the very least, we can hope that those that do decide to partake on the option to get a physical release for Pentiment will hopefully get their copies without issue. Hopefully whatever caused those cracks yeah. to be slipped before have been corrected, but we'll see. Yep. Uh, continuing on some dates, uh, a few more de- release dates for the upcoming months. None for May yet. Uh, but in March, we've got turn-based roguelike RPG Goblin Stone releasing on PC. I don't know anything about this game except they asked me to cover it, so I did. And it's just like an indie kind of like it is roguelike where you have like a part of you goblins that you kind of go through this sort of world and I guess, you know, see how far you can get and sort of like an Iron Man kind of thing. And then you start over some sort of roguelike interpretation there. I didn't look too much into it, to be honest. Well, we have the trailer and the uh, announcement up on our website if you're interested. In March, we also got the Switch release of Kingdom Come Deliverance. Adam, you covered this game way, way, way back when. Yeah, uh, they actually announced this like two and a half years ago, the Switch version. Good old Henry, yep. Uh, it, it was kind of... So I, I keep I keep the uh, release date list on our website up to date. And sometimes it gets sometimes it's actually kind of annoying when like a game like this is announced or a port like this is announced. So like on my release date list and sort of like the undated bucket i have kingdom come deliverance for switch and literally like 25 26 months later it's like this isn't hasn't moved at all is this still a thing maybe it's been silently canceled i I might have removed it from the list i don't know and then they finally are like okay it's finally dated and uh coming out next month um so yeah just kind of a pet peeve of mine when something takes so long after the announcement to like get a follow-up about uh 
when, when it's coming. But yeah, this game a lot is of, a uh, fun little development uh, complication. Say that again. So I, I said there's just I imagine there's like a lot of development complications. For yeah. The I, if I remember correctly from the post years ago, they kind of just like were playing around with developing it for Switch for fun, and they were basically sort of decided, hey, we think we can do this. Maybe they didn't expect it. Maybe they, I don't know, announced it too soon before they realized, oh, this is actually going to take a lot of work. And then now, you know, two years of work later, they can finally an- release it. I don't know. But um, yeah, the game itself, it's it's a first-person open-world RPG. It's kind of immersive sim- sim-ish. Uh, you got a lot of like uh, outside of combat, you have a lot of like mechanics like lockpicking and stealth and uh, like crafting and herb brewing and things like that. Um, it's a it's kind of like an interesting game in that respect. It's also the sort of game where like how do I put it? The combat in this game is first person melee, and it kind of feels like claustrophobic and sloppy and muddy, but sort of intentionally in a way. Because, like, this is, like, medieval sword fighting. It's not meant to be, like, flashy and choreographed. It's very uh, rough and, like, can you get hits in, more hits on them before they get enough hits on you sort of thing. So it's, that's kind of the tone it goes for. It's supposed to be very realistic. Is that's, that They're really uh, pushing that as they were marketing it. Um, no fantasy yeah, or I- anything like that. But it feels rewarding, like because like you you start like you start out shit, but then like yeah. you progressively get better and better and better and better. You just like you kind of get that like kind of get that gradual comeuppance of like, hey, my character is getting stronger. Yeah, you know? it's definitely the sort of game where starting out you feel like you suck. Uh, where uh, like you could take on the you could you could try taking on and fighting the town like guard like the town knight, but you're gonna get your butt kicked because you suck um eventually like by the time you get to the end of the game you're almost like a walking demigod and you can just beat everyone but yeah you have to like in true rpg is true rpg fashion you have to like train up your stats and your skills and whatnot through exercise if you will so yeah it's a fun little game it's not really a little game (laughs) i also appreciate that henry is like his own character yeah henry is just a normal dude just (laughs) he's just so normal i actually kind of like it (laughs) Yeah. just guys being dudes no he's just, he's just like a guy he's like the he's like the son of a like a miller or something I'm trying, i don't remember exactly he, he, just yeah something like that and then somehow gets caught up in this big like you know political uh conflict so uh other dates we've got anatria the last song releasing on june 21st for PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. I mean, I feel is... a lot of it bad for Java games because they were the first ones. For Resident Evil Five: Vengeance, for Elden Ring DLC, they just like they're like, all right, June twenty first looks like a silent That's safe time to go. Yep, to uh, release our this Italian Souls like, and then you know a few days later, it's like, well, <laughs> did you cool. see the devs' uh, reaction on Twitter? Oh uh, yeah, I saw I saw that feels freaks fed around my friends. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see it. Uh, so basically, it was like one of those uh, like uh, WWE wrestling um, um, images of like the, it was like for this it was like the Undertaker sneaking up on someone I forgot who. And then I was, no, like, no, was, no. Like, it it was okay. the one I saw. It was a, I, I guess it was a different uh, member of the dev team, but it was like they had the like you know the Oblivious comic. They had that like uh, that uh, stick figure and that transition to like the realization. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. really good. 
Yeah, so th- this one, uh, uh, the one I saw from their official Twitter, I'll put it on our voice channel chat. But um, but the th- it was like the Undertaker, uh, I believe, sneaking up on like one of the Hardy Boys, and then um, uh, like and then obviously dubbing Elden Ring DLC as Undertaker, and then the one being snuck up on as Anatria. <laughs> so they know, they get it. But you know what? Uh, ho- hopefully, the- hopefully the game is like good like i i played like a like a unreal engine test that's at like um pax west uh last year and it's like okay it has a neat gimmick of like switching between masks that have like their own unique par- properties to like kind of switch your role in combat yeah for this souls like so you know it, it has a it's coming from like a pretty interesting uh premise like you know inspired by italian folklore we'll see And then we have one kind of a soft delay for Dungeons of Hinterburg. Uh, my understanding is that this was slated for spring 2024, and then the devs have said they're now shooting for summer. And uh, we also got a... Um, I linked the wrong, I linked the wrong uh, post here, I think. No, uh, that was, that's the new trailer. Um, so they, they released a new trailer that is basically showing off the swamp region of the game uh the like finnish word or whatever it is for that is brunelsumpf i probably mispronounced that um so basically they announced this delay but they also released a trailer that just kind of shows this new region they show this they show some of the combat um this game also has social elements where you can like speak with townspeople and you have like literal relation bars like relationship nodes or whatever with these with characters it is an adventure rpg so yeah they, they basically they're they're showing off this swamp region and showing off combat exploration and relationships alongside the, the delay. I mean, gotcha. to be honest, when people say like we delayed it from spring to summer, I don't, I don't, I never put a lot of stock into like the quarters they say something's gonna release in. Like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first year I did like the RPG release date list, I used to like categorize upcoming games if they weren't dated by like season like here are the games coming out in spring here are the games coming out in summer here are the games coming out in fall but i realized that like almost like half of those games if not more of them i'd always just like push into the next bucket because it's like oh it's not coming out in spring i guess it's coming out in summer i guess it's not coming out in summer it's coming out in fall and then i basically like i'm not doing this i'm just gonna say it's coming out this year or next year so i stopped with the uh That's i stopped caring too much me. about what quarter they say it's coming out in we also didn't have this on Google. Uh, I mean, on the on the document that we have here for the podcast, but uh, we we had our first October release dated this year. Oh yeah, um, yeah. We had the Fantasy Life I, the Girl Who Steals Time, uh, coming out on Switch on October 10th. So first you know, deck of police. Love. Yeah, where's deck of police? That's the one I. Well, I also want to play Fantasy Life, but so, deck so, of police so, is the one. I'm so imagine play. this level five. You know, we we made fun of this last year too, but that, like this game, along with every other game that they work on, it was dated for twenty twenty three, and now it's finally getting a release date almost a full year later, um, um, for Fantasy Life on October ten. It is so so funny. I, the funniest thing from when I was at TGS was having my appointment with Level Five and saying, "So this is still scheduled for this year, right?" And the actual developer there before they announced the delay, being like, uh, "I'm not sure about that." <laughs> It's like, oh man. So by the um, way, I think I think most RPG fans are well aware of what's coming out like m- this month, March, April, and then like we were just talking about June starting to fill up. May right now is empty. 
but back half of the year, in terms of dated games, we only have two. One, in August, we have Black Myth Wukong. That is the uh, Chinese-developed Journey to the West Souls-like. That's caught some eyes. That's on August. I won't be, I won't be surprised if that gets delayed. And then Fantasy Life is October. And then we have, yeah. you know, a bunch of undated stuff. You know, probably some of the bigger ones. Girls um, Through Daybreak is yeah, coming out Daybreak in is summer. At some point. Um, it, it would be metaphor. very funny. There's it would metaphor. be very funny. It would be very Imagine. funny if uh, originally they were planning to release uh, Trails Through Daybreak on June, 21. June 20th, because <laughs> that's the first day of summer. And it's like dated for summer. And then it's like now they're like, uh, we need to push this back. <laughs> yeah, there's also Visions of Mana, which is supposed to be summerish. Yeah. Yeah. It's then, like, uh, man, outside of that point, right? Yeah, so also some some undisclosed point in summer. Really, outside of May, it just seems like the rest of the year is still going to be the same stuff where it's like, why are these two massive RPGs releasing within a week of each other? Yeah, watch like Visions of Mana and uh, Trails Through Daybreak release on the same day or something. Thank God I only have to play one of those. <laughs> yeah. Not playing a Trails game in English ever again, especially since I can just like request code from Falcon. There's also uh, the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 for fall. Yeah. And that's all the dates that I had. So that's all the news topics that I had listed for oh. this episode of the Tetracast. Did I miss East, one? East, no, I'm talking about uh, East 10 Nordics, the Western. Oh, yeah. We're about East 10. Yeah. yeah. Fall. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That, that game is, is neat. Is if it has like a, a season, you should put it in like near those other dates so that it doesn't surprise us. No, it's not <laughs> okay. But yeah, all right. I don't want to look at the timestamp. How long has this been? All righty. <laughs> this is par for the course for Nintendo for Direct. Hours, God, of the, yeah. of the all right, Nintendo, you're not allowed for to have another direct until like your June timeframe direct. Don't worry, they won't. But anyway. they'll. they'll... Yeah, but when it happens, it'll be the big uh, Switch Two like uh, showcase. I'm sure. Um, I believe like also in a few days there's gonna be a new Pokemon Presents uh, stream. Oh God! So next week is also gonna be a long podcast between that and uh, the FS7 discussion. Oh yeah. man! Ugh. Well, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so what are we expecting from Pokemon Presents? Uh, I I find it very funny that pretty much everyone's being like. Please do not announce the black and white remakes. Please do not announce those. We'll take a Legends game, but don't announce a brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl style uh, remake of black and white because it's it's striking how even the Pokemon fans got broken by the state of those remakes. <laughs> they're gonna announce. Yeah. A, uh, they're gonna announce a collab with Pal World. That's what they're gonna announce. I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, a new a new legends ente or whatever, or whatever. Like a new legends game would be really cool. Yeah. We'll see. And when is so when is that? We're recording this on the 24th, and that is slated for 6 a.m. on the 27th. Alright, so only in a couple of days. So by, by the time someone's listening to this, that might have already happened. But anyways, uh all the things that we talked about, all the news posts we can find on RPGSite.net that includes the reviews for Shuren the Wanderer 6. Obviously, Final Fantasy VII Remake on this Tetracast will have a more further discussion next week. But of course, the review is already up on the website at RPGSite.net. Uh, we also have... Oh, I didn't cover this one before, but um, 
Paige did write up a review on Bandle Tale, a League of Legends story that came out. Uh, so they we have a review for that one up on the site as well. Also, I believe next week we'll hear more about Greedfall 2. Oh yeah, Nikon, Nikon live stream, that's right. Which usually doesn't have a whole lot for our purview, but yes, it does have Greedfall 2 on there. Uh, Scott also wrote up a feature on the new Magic the Gathering decks based on Fallout. So if you're a Magic magic head, you can go ahead and give that uh, article a look at. You can find RPG site on all the social media platforms. Just search for RPG space site and you should be able to find us. You can join our Discord at the link at the top of the homepage or go to discord.gg slash RPG site. And we'll be back next week with a likely very Final Fantasy VII Rebirth-themed episode of the TetraCast. So until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you all later.